You're listening to episode 106 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, I had great news to talk to you guys about, but it's just Sean and I. Wait, is that... Who the hell is that bald guy? Is that Pete? That's Lex Luthor, baby. You shaved your head to be like Lex Luthor? Not to be like him. I was placed in jail like him, and they shaved my head, and then I escaped. Oh, and Kale's here, too. What the fuck? Where did you guys come from? Supermax. I thought you were in Paris. Yeah, I went to Paris, so. Oh. Well, who's that spiky-haired nice? old man in the jail cell with me? In the jail cell? The guy who made you a skinhead? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, oh, I don't appreciate that. <laughs> I, I was going what? to say I had great news. Uh, I was in talks with Netflix... And we have a special show going to be picked up on Netflix about the comics, pals. But after that comment, I don't think it's going to happen. Listen, man, that isn't even the closest. That's not even the worst thing we've said on this podcast this month. <laughs> and this month just started. Frankly, not even this week. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty tame. Pete, why did you shave your head? Why did he shave his head to be like Lex Luthor? That's what I want to know. Or is it to be more I, like I told you it wasn't, it was, I, I was arrested. I went to prison and they shaved my head. That's what happens. Why Why were you arrested? Is that what happens? Super villainy. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, why what happened in Paris? Uh, so I went to Paris Comic Con. Um, it was fine, <laughs> but one thing did happen. I went to a very crowded Burger King, um, and it, like the kind of crowded where like you have to stand and wait for a table. Um, so I sat down while Jess was ordering her food, right? Um, and I sat next to this uh, this old guy and 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 his kid. And, um, you know, it was one of those, it was a set of tables that were, you know, connected. So we were like right next to them, right? And I don't, I don't know a lot of French. Um, I'm just learning. Um, but I said, um, oh, no. I, you know, he said uh, something. And all I could do was was point to the other side and say, uh, uh, ma, ma femme. Um, and... <laughs> And, and basically, I just went, the moral of the story is I basically walked into a Burger King and went, my wife. <laughs> you know that American asshole who goes into another country's fast food restaurant and just goes, French fries, French fries. Don't, don't be an asshole. I called them fries. <laughs> oh, boy. Freedom All right. fries. Wow. How do you say local fries? Merci. <laughs> I, I imagine Kale going around saying that, but he just says mercy. You know, he, he, Mer- <laughs> mercy. 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 Bonjour. Bonjour, no. Bonsoir. I only picture Kevin Spacey when you do that. We can't picture him anymore. Kevin Spacey. Yeah, Kevin Spacey from House of Cards. I don't support Kevin Spacey. Oh, oh, I, I see the meme. Okay, you don't have to support Kevin. I don't support Kevin Spacey. That's not but what I've seen like. House of Cards. Let's not be stupid. The man exists. 
the hell? I don't support Kevin Spacey. I, I like the way he hey, supports Kevin Spacey in 2018. <laughs> not anymore. I like, Nobody. I like the way Except right, Sean. We're not supporting Kevin Spacey. We're saying he's a human that exists in this world. I like the way you phrased that. He used to have a career. He was like, I see the meme. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like Sean had his Neo moment where he could finally see the code. <laughs> I mean, you talk about disingenuous bullshit. Are you really gonna just act like Kevin Spacey doesn't exist? I don't know if he does anymore. The fuck, that man's 2018, deep in space. he doesn't. God, Who's Kevin Spacey? Right. Anyways, well, I'll tell you what. He's definitely not playing any of us in our new Netflix show. All right. So instead of talking about that, let's talk about where you guys can find us out there in the world. We are all over the place, uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you enjoy consuming your podcasts from, we're probably there. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, or your thoughts on this or any other episode of the Comics Pals. And last but not least, hello YouTube. Uh, we are happy to be back on the platform. We are video list for the time being just because um, it was tough to configure our video to work the way it was before just because of some changes that were done to the recording practices that we use. So we've got to find a different way to do that. But in the meantime, new employees. In the meantime, you will not be able to see us, uh, but you can certainly hear us. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a comment, drop us a like, share this video with your friends, and make sure to subscribe to the channel. If you have, if you have already subscribed, uh, then A, hit the notification bell, but B, definitely do share this with your friends, because uh, it's, uh, it's a big help to us. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. So, uh, I want to kick things off with some listener mail. Last week, we said that we had some more after uh, we talked about Matt Murphy's uh, fantastic question that I can't remember anymore. The only thing that I remember is that the intro to the question involves shit, um, <laughs> which is apropos. Uh, but we do have other reader mail this week, so we're going to dive into that now. So, Pete, take it so away. This first one comes from Ryan Klubeck, who has uh, been a regular writer into the show a few times, so thanks again for writing in, Ryan. He wrote in on our Infidel Book Club, which you can go catch uh, now on SoundCloud, and by the time you're listening to this, it should probably be... Uh, yeah, it'll be up on YouTube at this point as well, so make sure you go check that out if you haven't. But Ryan wrote in with his thoughts on the episode. Hey guys, just wanted to hit you with a quick thought on Infidel. While I think the book communicates an important message, I think it could benefit from more subtlety. In presenting the subject of race relations, Infidel does a whole lot of telling and not much showing. It uses a lot of what I would call on-the-nose dialogue, which is something I personally don't care for. Stories that address social issues should be informative. However, they should do it in a creative way. Infidel succeeds in articulating its points, but instead of weaving them through the story in an artful manner, it does all the work for you and puts everything right there on the surface. If you ask me, that's not much fun. But that's only my opinion, and I respect that not everyone will share it. I'd like to close with another book book club suggestion, and I promise it's more realistic than my last one. Klaus by Grant Morrison. Christmas is right around the corner after all. Thanks for, thanks again for reading. Sincerely, Ryan. What was Ryan's last book club suggestion? I don't remember. Anyone? We could also just look it up, which I'm doing right now, so why don't you guys instead answer his question? Yeah, I... Yeah. 
So I think there's merit to that comment. I also like when things are a little more nuanced and less on the nose. But I think in the case of Infidel, which for any of you that haven't listened to that, go listen to that, please. Uh, Pornsack, the writer of that book, also listened to that and uh, gave us some praise for that, which was very nice. Thank you very much. Um, I think in the case of this book, because it was so much about the racial tension of of the of the setting that it takes place in that I don't know if it really needed to be that nuanced because it was meant to be on the nose like it, that was done on purpose uh and I think the dialogue that was utilized to reflect that was done so well what was meant to be nuanced in the case of this book was the horror elements of it that was what was meant to be subtle um and to the effect of that you know to a varying degree uh, you you can listen to more of that on our infidel uh coverage, but that that that's my kind of thought there. Yeah, someone I can't remember who it was that said it during during the the review, but I, it was I, I believe it was Phil or Marco. Um, but it, they the example was brought up that it's like a a, a cardboard standee, cardboard cutout of of um like dialogue, you know. For me, the one that sticks out is is uh, why can't we text them because they're white? I just like you know, you, you get it. <laughs> I would say that I uh, I would say I'm somewhat aligned with what Ryan had to say here, but I I don't um I don't know that I agree with the point you guys are making about the dialogue. I think the the conversational dialogue was just about where I'd want it. For a lot of those moments, I think, um, like we, we pointed out during the, uh, review, there's like that specific conversation in the coffee house, uh, between a few of the main characters that I thought was one of the better moments of that, you know, or the conversation between, um, you know, the, the two main characters when they're going through that, um, that room. And, and these are, these are all like, they feel like very realistic human conversations about race, uh, where I felt like it got a little on the nose was kind of in its, its wrap up of the book. Um, but I, I can definitely see where, where Ryan's coming from. And, and I think <clears throat> I echoed a lot of similar criticisms during our review. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I got to disagree, man. I know we agreed on four kids, but, um, uh, I think, uh, I think you're, you're off base here. And the reason why I feel that way is because, uh, first of all, you're challenging whether or not what Pornsack was doing was creative, uh, and that's, that's, I don't know about that. Um, he was trying to provide dialogue that felt real. Uh, it, it was supposed to be frank. That was the point. It was supposed to be, uh, I don't know if on the nose is the right word in this context. It's more like it's supposed to represent the way real people actually talk when they talk about these kinds of things. Um, and so in that regard, if it, it comes down to whether or not you, whether or not the conversations resonated with you or not. And if they didn't, then I get that. But, uh, to say that they're not creative, um, or that they should have, that, that there should have been more subtlety. I mean, that just wouldn't have represented, uh, what the point was. So what you're referring to is just not this book. That's a different book. Um, so yeah, you gotta go find that one if you want to get that. That's not the same thing. 
Uh, and then as far as your suggestion, his original suggestion was True Detective. Oh, that's a good oh, ass. Right. Uh, that's why we, that's a good like, ass yeah, show. We were all, that's why we didn't remember. We were all on board with that. Yeah, why? that's true. I do remember <laughs> that now. <laughs> It's it's a well it's, because you know we 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 can't do that love it. it's not, that's not true. <laughs> it's, thanks, we had a Kill. whole we had anyway, a whole fucking um, show about Riverdale. Definitely <laughs> do True Detective, and it would be good. But that's not a book club, Kale. Uh, so as far as Klaus by Grant Morrison, that's a good suggestion. Um, I uh, I haven't read that in a long time. Uh, yeah, Grant Morrison, Dan Moira on art. Uh, that's a good book, uh, and it is almost Christmas. That is a that's a good suggestion. I think. Um, sounds like you've got good taste because True Detective season one is um, one of the better seasons of television I've ever seen. But um, Klaus is a fun book. It's it's not. I don't think it's one of Grant's better books, but I enjoyed. I certainly enjoyed reading it. We'll have to float that one by Marco and see if we can get it on the schedule. Uh, but thanks a lot. Always appreciate your commentary, Ryan. So keep writing in. Yeah, great hearing from you, man. Yes, please. Uh, so then we got a uh, a novella here from our buddy Harris over on episode 104, um, <clears throat> where he wrote in and said... Chapter Daredevil's- one. <laughs> Chapter one. Daredevil season three was masterful. I believe it is better than season one in many aspects. It is nearly perfect, except for one episode which dragged over a certain character. I will not spoil it. And then he directly spoils it, so I'm not going to read that part. <laughs> uh, <laughs> D'Onofrio's... Per- I don't, I don't think that I don't think that's a problem. All right, I will not spoil it. Cough, Karen, cough. <laughs> I am uh, sorry. I am getting over a cold. D'Onofrio's performance was the best throughout the season, and it made me truly invested in a villain on a series for the in in a series for the first time in a while. Uh, so so here it is. My random question of the week. Wait, Pete must whisper it into a bullhorn to possibly have it quieter. Okay, so. It's time for the random question of the week. Hey, I'll take it. It wasn't a bullhorn, but man, I'll take it. So it's a couple decibels quieter. Harris, write in every week and please just tell people to do that. (laughs) Everybody gets one. As an active reader of Webtoons, it came to my surprise to see some comic book writers now releasing Webtoons. Two of note are Warren Ellis and Fabia, uh, Fabian, how do you say his last name? Nasiza. Nasiza? There's an N in there. Nicesia, something like that. Fabian Nicienza, I'm going to say. The series are Finality and Outrage, respectively. My question is, can creators doing a project in this medium or others on a weekly basis bring more fans to comic books? I'm aware of Marvel doing a dramatic story about Wolverine in an episodic podcast, which I am not fond of, but I do think it is a step in the right direction for creators to be on webtoons and web novels in particular. We... We auditioned for that, I remember. (laughs) Yes. Uh, They are quick, digestible, and accessible means to display creators from a vastly hungry audience who, in my experience, are loyal slash curious about the creators who are behind the stories. As of late, web novels and webtoon sites are becoming a lot more popular, even here stateside, having more entities that are which are Western-based over the vast manga and light novel properties. I wonder about any opinions on this. So first of all, thanks for writing in, Harris. Uh, so what do you what do you guys think about this one? Um, do you guys think that webtoons? I'm not really familiar with what webtoons are. I don't know if he means like web comics or. I think I think web comics. I think webtoons specifically is uh, is a, a brand or a uh, okay a, a, like a, a publisher platform. platform okay. Yes. Sure. 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 Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. That's that's what I was thinking based on the question. So, do you guys think that like web comics, web no- novels, and all those sorts of things can be a inroad for? No traditional comic books? Sean, what do you think? I just know he had an opinion. Sorry, Kale, go on. 
I was going to go first because he had his mic muted, but that's, that's fine. Okay. Go for it. I was going to say, uh, I mean, you have books like um, Nimona from uh, Noel Stevenson, and that's um, that huge uh, book started as a, as a, a webcomic, and uh, lots have. I know this week um, one of the volumes for um, – Ojoy Sex Toy comes out uh, from Erica Moen, I believe is her name, and, and her partner. Um, those are both uh, webcomics that are, are vastly different but are wildly popular um, that have grown into uh, you know full publishing. And I think Nimona has been on the, on the docks for uh, a TV show or a movie at some point. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think they can – um, but I think, I think what will bring people specifically is a name. And I think when you have people like Warren Ellis and, and, and Fabian, um, they, you know, they already have an established reputation as really good, um, creators and, and the people who make really good content. They've been around for decades. Uh, yeah. Warren's also like got a multimedia rep too like he has done stuff in other spheres that is also like pretty relevant like the Castlevania show on Netflix is like almost entirely yeah. his joint um, that's cool so yeah I, I mean to answer the broader question yeah I, th- I absolutely think comics creators moving out um, into other mediums will definitely bring um, uh, more people into comics um, I think you know, again, broadly speaking, I think the the issue you come across will is you know properly crediting the people who work on the show and and showing that off. So, I uh, I mean, this is not new. This is actually very much not new. Uh, Dirk Manning really was one of the pioneers. I'm not sure he gets the credit he deserves for this, uh, but he was one of the pioneers of web comics. Way back in like uh, 2004, or 2005, or something like that. It might have been even earlier, honestly. Um, but he was one of the very, very early adopters of uh, of doing that. Nightmare World came out entirely that way um, for most of its run. It was a web comic that then was um, bound and put out there, um, and uh, just plenty of other creators have done this. Uh, Ed Brubaker has done it. Um, uh, God. So even uh, even wrong. recently, there was that Edison. there was that book that Brian K. Vaughn yeah. did that was yeah, just yeah. released online Brian with K. Vaughn, uh, Marcos Martinez. The yeah. So many, yeah, so many creators have done this, and uh, is it helpful for the medium? Yes, because they're oftentimes more accessible. If you don't have a comic book store that's local to you, um, you can get comics online, which obviously which obviously is really helpful. Um, the top tier creators at this point probably charge for the web comics, but a lot of lesser known creators who are trying to make their mark do have free books out. In fact, uh, if you ask any comic book writer how to break in in 2018, they're probably going to tell you that you should find an artist unless you can draw yourself and put out comics for free online. And so that's what a webcomic is, right? So uh, it's not new, and I think it's great for the industry. 
but I think it's been great for the industry for a really long time. And will it bring in new readers? I think it's great for people who don't have access to stores. And I think it's great for people who want to read unconventional comic books because the one thing about web comics that, that's different from print is that there is no barrier to entry at all um, other than your ability to find someone to collaborate with if you even need that. But that's it. Yeah, and there's like no there's no like format restrictions either, right? Like if you want to do a strip, you can do a strip. If you want to do like what Dirk did and put out pages of a book at a time, like you can do that. Like you're only bound by the comic that you want to do. You know? I remember when we were all in comics journalism, Kale did a series uh about a guy who did like interactive web comics. Like there was one about like the death of his grandfather and stuff like that. They're really, really interesting. YouTube. Yeah, that's that guy. Well, that's that's his right, pen that name. was the guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I don't, I don't, you're right, Sean, this isn't a, a recent development. And I think the fact that it isn't a recent development gives me pause in saying that it's like a one-to-one gate into comics. Cause I don't necessarily think it works that way. Cause I think you can look at a lot of creators who their, their output is just web stuff for the most part. And I don't think a lot of them like... I don't think a lot of people would put their comics in the same category as comic books, you know, like somebody like, uh, like Adam Totes is like a really well-known, like cartoonist style comic guy, you know, he used to work for BuzzFeed, now he's independent, like you've seen his comics on the web, you know, or like Shen Comics, like uh, Poorly Drawn Lines, like, you know, XKCD, like there are these web comics that themselves have history and aren't trying to tell a narrative, you know, and are, are more like kind of slice of life or like more like a newspaper strip. And I don't know that the, their popularity or their, you know, increased resonance is necessarily leading to more people discovering comics, but I don't think that it's, I think it happens more than, than I might even think. Cause I think about when I was a teenager and I had kind of fallen out of comics, web comics were the thing that got me back in the door, you know? Um, because it renewed my interest in them as a medium. And I think in recent years, I've, you know, there's definitely cartoonists and people who I've known from the web who've moved into the, the traditional space. Like there was that, um, that Spider-Man web comic. I can't remember the name of the artist, but she moved over to Marvel. Hannah, yeah, yeah, Hannah, I think it was Bloom, Bloom or Bloom Wrench or something like that. Uh, Bloom Rick. But then the one that always comes to mind for me is Sarah Grayley. Yeah. Uh, who was best known for Our Super Adventure, which is a webcomic about her and her husband. But now she's doing Kim Reaper over at, I think, Boom. Um, And then she just got signed on to do like a Minecraft comic as well. And like, you know, she's somebody who made the switch from, and maybe not switch, but, you know, made the jump from webcomic creator to traditional comics, you know? And and I think if you are a fan of hers from, and you've been following her for a long time, there might be a good chance that you did go pick up Kim Reaper or do go pick up one of her runs on one of these other books. And maybe that's the thing that gets you in the door. So I think it's definitely possible, but I don't know that it's like, it seems like Harris is asking if we think it's signifying like uh, a trend that's about to begin or something like that. And I don't, I don't know that that's what we're seeing here. I think to Sean's point, it's something that's always been a part of the industry since the internet era. And I think it's just par for the course now that if you're going to a young independent person trying to get your start in comics, you're probably going to start online. Yeah. Uh, Phil, did you have a, an opinion that's worth sharing? Think carefully about that answer. Well, that's a question you can ask me thoughtfully on any subject, frankly. <laughs> 
No, not really. I think Pete kind of covered it. I, I uh, there's obviously validity uh, to any kind of <clears throat> web-based comic books and animation. If, if you're trying to break into this industry, I mean, it's as good a way as to break in as anything else, frankly. Uh, and Pete kind of, uh, and you too, Sean, uh, kind of summarily covered it. I think one of the things that I think is interesting about this subject that I don't know if Harris intended for us to talk about. Uh, but it's what sprung to mind for me is, um, uh, God, what's the terminology for this? You know, fans writing about characters that they don't own on various different websites. Fan, fan, fan fiction. Yeah. Fan fiction. Thank you. Fan fiction. Uh, fan fiction is definitely something that's been around for a long time, but I think uh, is gaining in popularity as well. And a lot of artists who have talent, I mean, you know, who can draw, they will do uh, their own comics based on characters that they don't own uh, for free on a lot of these websites. And I think that is something that is increasing in popularity hugely uh, over the last few years and uh, is the other side of this conversation. I think a lot of people really love these characters like the Avengers I see so much like Bucky and Captain America fan fiction and stuff like that um and I think that there are so many people who are untapped by the comic book market who actually really do love these characters who feel like stories that they're interested in aren't being told and I think that's one of the most fascinating things about the way that the internet has influenced comics because sometimes those people um, end up getting into comics and then they have influence over these characters and then they can tell stories. I mean, there's certain things you're just never going to be able to do, but they can tell stories about these characters that appeal to people who feel like they're underserved. And I think that's really cool. <clears throat> I, 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 and I, I would even go as far as to say that I don't know if it's becoming more popular as much as it's just more visible and easier to see now um to to add to your point sure yeah i think i think that's true and i I think the increased and this is something we've talked about a lot like as small as comics are i think the interest in them over the last five years maybe even a little longer is in my experience the highest it's ever been since i've been paying attention since avengers you know yeah yeah oh so yeah so let's say six years right um and I think that has something to do with it too, is that if you look at like web comics have always been a thing, but you look at like, like when Sean threw out like 2004, right? To, to like 2010 when I was in high school um, or in middle school, I guess 2004. But uh, in that era, when I was reading web comics, they weren't what they are now. You know, like you had to go to a dot com and, and go and check every Monday when they uploaded the, the strip. You know, there wasn't Instagram or Reddit or any of these other like aggregate platforms where you could come across something by accident and then appreciate it through osmosis and then become a fan of it. And it wasn't that easy. And I think that's a big part of it is that like when I was coming up and getting into web comics, one person turned me on to one web comic that they had seen on some image board. And then I was like, oh, wow, there's this whole community of comics out there. And I started looking for them. 
And now it's so easy to come across them by accident. You know, like all of those, those web comics that I mentioned earlier, even if you don't know them by name, go Google any one of them. And I bet you've seen them. I bet you've seen a Shen comic or an Adam Totes comic or an XKCD, you know, like just in passing and weren't even aware that that's what it was. And I, or like Penny Arcade or something like they, they're out there and, and they have, uh, you know, like a huge relevance in some cases. Look at Penny Arcade. They started PAX. PAX is a huge fucking event now, you know, but it started from this very small niche thing that has become more and more accessible as the internet's become more and more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just want us to touch on the first portion of the mail that Harris sent in, which was just about Daredevil season three. Uh, we did a review for it. It's up all over the place, everywhere we post content. So, uh, you can check that out for our thoughts. We're not really going to dive into that because we did it already and it's super spoilery and there's probably people who haven't finished it yet. But I will say that I agree, uh, that D'Onofrio's performance was incredible. And I personally rank Daredevil season three, uh, as better and, than and season one for sure. And, and listen, Harris, I read that email when I was like an episode in and you singled out Karen Page. And for the rest of the season, I thought, oh God, what's going to happen to Karen Page? So thank you for that. <laughs> that's the same thing happened to me. The, yeah, yeah. I had the same experience. So thank you to the Comics Pals for create, recreating that experience for every single <laughs> yeah, one of our listeners. enjoy enjoy uh so moving on thank you both for your uh mail we appreciate that very much and of course anyone else who wants to write in you guys can hit us up at the comics pals at gmail.com which is the way that both of these individuals chose to get at us it's the easiest way to reach out and um we always appreciate it uh, Ryan wrote in about Infidel, which is our most recent book club episode. We're very proud of that. Uh, we will be doing another one uh, here at the end of the month of November. Uh, Pride of Baghdad, I believe, is what we're doing. And that's yes. a Kale one. Yep. That's Kale. So. Boo. I want Brian Cave on. Yes. Uh, so make sure to get that. Grab that if you want to read along with us. And uh, the episode will drop last Friday of the month. So, uh Mark your calendar. How many issues is that for the listeners at home, Kale? Uh, it's not very long. It's pri- I want to say it's probably four or five. It's 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 one small smallish trade. So cool. There we go. All right. It's cool, man. I've actually never read this one, and I I've read almost everything Brian Kavon's ever done. So I'm excited about this. So let's jump into the pals pulls. Uh, from Kale, we've got Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, number one. So this is the, I guess, technically the second issue, uh, because they had a zero issue for the uh, the uh, Jodie Whittaker. Is that right? Why can I never remember this lady's name? I think it's Jodie Whittaker. It's your age, my friend. Um, yeah, it is. Um, I'm <laughs> aged like a time lord myself. Um, but, um, the, so this is the first issue. Yeah. Jodie Whittaker. Okay. Um, this is the first issue of the, the first official issue of the, uh, comics, uh, from Titan. Um, it's got the, it's, it's got the, the crew from the, um, the TV show. Um, so, uh, Bradley Walsh is there. Um, only the greatest game show host in all of Britain. Um, it's a whole new, adventure that you know happens concurrently 
um, alongside the TV show. So, um, and if you so if you enjoy the TV show, it's as as good, if not better. How how would you know how good it is, Kale? Uh, cause I. <laughs> What's up? I'm not gonna tell. Uh, right. <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna disclose your bias. No. All all, listen, <laughs> all I said was, it's very good. The show is very good. I like the book. That's all. Right. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll we'll leave it. There. We could say uh, then, I have a review copy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. And then you also chose Umbrella Academy number two. Uh, yeah, Umbrella 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 Academy is finally back. Um, we uh, have waited, God, probably ten years for this. Um, the uh, so this is Hotel Oblivion. Uh, the first issue came out uh, at the beginning of October, and I don't know that I was here then yet. So um, go buy this and and please tell Gerard Way to keep making comic books and stop with this music nonsense because we really want to stick stick with this and keep it going. <laughs> we all know that music shit was just a hobby. I mean, listen. <laughs> you know, he had a, a very successful band that had three very good records and, listen, I'm over it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let the man make his art, Kale. <laughs> oh, this is funny. My chemical romance helped me through my mid-teens. Man. Listen, it did me too. And my 20s. I'm just saying now I would like and to my 40s. move on. I can't I can't listen to music the way I could anymore. What does that mean? That's true. I'm old. It's got to be lower. <laughs> yeah. but, but, also, but also somehow louder. What? All right, so from Phil, we've got uh, Sideways Annual number one. You know, this is a character I've been really curious about uh, ever since they introduced him. And this annual has Grant Morrison on it, which is always kind of a good little... Whoa. Which is always a good little way of kind of hooking me in. Um, So if there was ever a time to kind of be introduced to this character, who from my understanding is kind of struggling financially, but conceptually apparently is fairly interesting from what I understand. Um, The stuff they've been doing with the character in that book is apparently pretty good. This is... This is my jumping on point. I'm interested to hear what you think. Uh, my one of the guys at my LCS has been trying to get me to read this for a while. So. I've I I know the Longbox Boys have said that this character is very uh, Spider Man esque. Yeah, that's that's what um, Julian, the guy from my store, has been saying. He knows I'm a Spider Man fan. He's like, dude, you got a DC Spider Man. You got to check it out. So I'd be interested to hear what you think, Phil. You know what? I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. And then uh, <laughs> Phil and I both chose Green Lantern number one. Yeah, I mean, what is there to say about this? This is the first monthly uh, big two superhero book that Grant Morrison's returning to with art by Liam Sharp, which is also looking pretty dope as far as I'm concerned. Um, what was his last monthly? Morrison's? Probably. Yeah, superhero stuff. Probably New 52 Superman or Batman. I can't remember which wow. ended first. Yeah, it would have been oh. one of those. Batman and Robin. Probably Batman. Batman, <clears throat> Batman yeah. Inc. Batman Inc. Batman Inc. I'm sorry. You're right. Yep. Batman but I can't, I can't remember which. I think I want to say New 52 Superman ended before. Yeah. I or after. Right. Af- after Batman Inc. maybe. No. Because it carried over. And it did that It did that weird soft reset that took Going longer. In. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. I, I, it's one of those two. Uh, some of the interviews coming out of this have been really interesting to me as well. Uh, there's this one quote from Grant where he says, "How suddenly goes from being a test." This book's about Hal Jordan. If you didn't know, Hal suddenly goes from being a test pilot to an insurance investigator, then a toy a toy salesman. Uh, none of these things seem to relate to each other at all. I love that sense of disconnection and dislocation. And reading up some of the American astronauts like Buzz Aldrin, who talked about having to come back from space, finding it really difficult to deal with life on Earth. They'd seen this perspective, and that was only from the moon. Uh, Hal's been to the other end of the galaxy. He's seen planets where it's a utopia, where people live for thousands of years. The political system is perfect, where they don't use money, where capitalism is a distant memory. And he comes back to this this mud hut, the Earth. You're trying your best, but honestly, he's got a pair of shoes made of liquid quicksilver. How do you really integrate? I think as a pitch, that's really interesting. This dislocated astronaut who's back from God knows what on the opposite end of the cosmos trying to uh, reacclimate to our culture. So I'm ready. I'm here for it. Is this... Uh, I really like that pitch. Is this an Earth One or is this... Uh, no, there, there the already is line. a Green Lantern. There's already a Green Lantern Earth One. Uh, I that's can't remember who does that off the top of my head. It's Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becker. Oh, that's right. Right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this is mainline, and we all know Grant has had really strong takes on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, rounding out this kind of core Justice League, Green Lantern, I, I would think would be next here, and I'm really curious to see what he does. He did a lot of crazy stuff on the Flash too. He's the one right. that introduced the the Black Racer, and that's right. I um I hope we get to review this. I really love this this idea. I love Grant Morrison. Obviously, I have an altar in my home that's dedicated to him. Uh, that's a lie, maybe. And uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm excited for for what he does next. And Liam Sharp is a genius, so uh, very much looking forward to that. And then Pete and I both chose Fearscape number two. Uh, we're actually going to be reviewing that later on. We got a we got an advanced copy, so we're going to tell you guys our thoughts on that. Uh, spoiler free, of course. Um, but we do want to also promo it and let you guys know that uh, that book is coming out next week. So you should absolutely go pick that up. That's by our boy Ryan O'Sullivan, who uh, you can also watch an interview with on uh, YouTube on our YouTube page. Yeah, and catch his appearance in uh, the New York Comic Con episode of Filming. Yes. Yeah, well, we'll see if that's any good. That book of his, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so let's let's jump into the news now. This one is is a very very interesting development in the as yet unnamed Disney streaming service because uh, according to Variety, Marvel is developing a series a limited series uh which will see the winter soldier and the falcon teaming up in a in a show on their service um allegedly they've recruited the writer of empire uh malcolm spellman to write this series um and what's interesting about it too is that uh uh the, the actors who play these characters um Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie have wanted to do something like this for a really long time. So I wonder if their behind the scenes relationship actually influenced this show coming to be. Is this something you guys are into? This is the first show they've announced that I'm actually interested in. 
Uh, and I think I expressed that on a previous episode where I... At length. If, if they're good, I'll... At length, you just expressed your discontent with the Scarlet Witch show. We know, Pete. I don't, I don't know that that's true, but okay. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say, um, I, think, I think I made it pretty clear that like, I'm willing to watch anything if it's quality, but the initial like elevator pitch for a Scarlet Witch show or a Loki show are just not super appealing to me. Um, Loki's a good villain, but I don't really like feel like I need more of him, mm. you know? And um, I, Scarlet Witch is one of the most underdeveloped characters in the MCU. And a show about her could fix that problem, but the fact that I don't have any attachment to her really doesn't make me care about that very much. Whereas with Falcon and uh, Winter Soldier, they already have an established dynamic that I liked. You know, I think the kind of them being at odds because they both are Cap's best friend, but then there's also kind of like a begrudging respect growing between them, you know, is like, that's a dynamic that plays well. And I could see that leading to like an entertaining, like buddy cop kind of vibe for the show. And that's something that I think would be fun. That's something that like, we also don't really have, you know, of all the superhero adaptions that we've gotten through this, you know, huge wave of, of superhero movies over the years, over the last decade, uh, there hasn't really been any that were about, like, a duo up until Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, so I think having something that's from its inception about a pair of characters who have a good dynamic um, is something that is appealing to me. And I like both of these actors. So I'd give this one a shot for sure. I'm a little bitter because it seems like this show would be coming off the ashes and the bones of the Netflix Marvel shows, which I am sad about seemingly coming to an end. Yeah. So I actually think that there's a wrinkle to this show that uh, is not knowable yet, but uh, this is my theory. I'll throw my hat in the ring. I think that this show will actually be a show about Captain America and his partner. I think one of these two people will become Captain America at the end of Avengers 4, and the other one will be his sidekick. I wonder I wonder if it'll even be like a, a you know, not to cross a stream tier or anything, but like a, a battle for the cowl situation. Mm, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that's funny that you point that out, Sean, because that would make a lot of sense. And it's interesting because those are the two characters who are like uniquely poised to take up the cow. Well, it happens you know, in the like, comics. Like, so, mm-hmm. Right, both of them have. Yep. Right, so it's like, who would it be? You know, like I would guess probably Winter Soldier, because like Falcons, you know, got his own identity. You know, jokes on you. They're both going to be Captain America. Oh my god, the show's just called Cap and Cap. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like the uh, the intro is just like a it's like a bad like odd couple kind of like eighties sitcom where they're just like back to back and they're like what so, like like that One bird's eye view over San Francisco panning you know it's yeah ah oh, so Red Wings and and this as well oh, cool Red Wing is the drone operator. One of them is messy, the other is too clean. One's neurotic and the other is lazy. <laughs> it's Cap and Cap. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't sound entertaining, folks. It doesn't. Um, so, <laughs> can you pick up your bird droppings? Oh, you think he'd be me. the lazy one. Da-da-da-da-da. I don't know. 
You're you're always leaving your mechanical arm everywhere. God. <laughs> There's oil on the kitchen table. Bits, bits, bits. <laughs> so Kevin Feige recently did a sort of roundtable discussion <clears throat> over at the Hollywood Reporter with several different uh, producers of movies that have done extremely well. <clears throat> And uh, he, he kind of talked a little bit about the streaming service and what the ideas were behind producing shows for that platform. And he said, well, it's not 100% complete yet, so there's only so much I'm allowed to say or so much they even tell me. But Paul Greengrass mentioned the streaming service, and I think that is something that we're going to be adding content to, which is exciting. I love your analogy with a campfire, right? As many people as you can get around the campfire and tell stories. Campfires can be different. We are going to tell stories for the streaming service that we wouldn't be able to tell in a theatrical experience. A longer form narrative, that's what comics are. It's about as long form a narrative as exists. But also maintaining that theatrical experience, which is our bread and butter, and the lines around the block, if you're lucky. Uh, So I think that that right there speaks to a philosophy that I can absolutely get behind. Um, One of the things that I've always been disappointed by with television shows that are based on these characters is they often don't feel larger than life. They don't feel like this is something really incredible. I think about Smallville when I say this. A lot of that stuff felt pedestrian, and I shouldn't feel that way, or at least I don't think I should feel that way when I'm watching a show about the strongest individual on Earth. Um and I would like to see the Marvel shows on Disney's streaming service reflect how you feel when you go to a movie, but be able to stretch that out across eight hours or six hours or something like that. Because I think that's when you can really get into the nitty gritty like comics do. So it's a perfect marriage. We, we did a whole episode about why television might be the best uh, medium for comics other than comics. And I think that if anyone can get that right, I would say that it would be Marvel on this streaming service. Yeah, I think the thing that's going to be really interesting to me is just what what shape does this streaming service take? Like, is the package itself going to be attractive enough for people to go bite? Because, like, we've talked about how there are so many of these shows now that, like, are apparently good, but it's just like we can't be bothered to check them out or we don't have access to the service or, or what have you. And... I don't know. It's going to be interesting because I think Disney has a lot more might that they could put behind a streaming service than because they haven't said it's going to be a Marvel streaming service. No, it's just Disney. Right. So and there's also going to be Star Wars content there. There's going to be the ability to put Disney's, you know, animated movies, Pixar. Like there's so much more to offer that Disney Channel type. TV shows yeah. that kids love, like or like the Disney Channel original movies. Like they have a, they have such a classic animation vault. Like they have such a huge volume of content, um, and that's not even talking about like the other umbrella companies that they own. Like you know, like stuff like um, what is it like Touchstone? I think is their imprint where they put out R-rated movies and shit like that. So all the Fox stuff that they're getting there. We're not going to see anything like that. You don't think so? No, they already said there will be no R-rated okay. content 
on the okay the platform. Even even removing that from it, right? There there's so many avenues to expand this out that I think will make it more attractive than the DC Universe app. Which I don't know. Like it's tough to say. It's hard to think. Like is is this stuff going to be enough to make another platform relevant? To make it looked at as the the third thing that you need to get alongside Netflix and Hulu or one or the other or whatever, right? Like I don't know, but. Disney is in a unique position to do so, and I think having the Marvel and Star Wars brands to throw behind it is huge. And the kind of content that they're talking about here, I think, makes me think that their chances are a lot better than we've talked about in previous episodes. And I think the ethos that you're talking about here uh, could pay really big dividends for them. You know, like, if they're putting out, like, BBC-level short-form series, like you said, like, maybe, like, six episodes like that, like... I don't know, man. That could really be event television. Yeah, and that's something that we don't really see a lot. So I'm definitely excited for this. I'm excited for the prospect of getting something different with these characters. Um, we referenced the Scarlet Witch show a little earlier, and now new reports are coming out from Slash Film that suggest that uh, she won't be alone in her show, uh, that she will actually be accompanied by the Vision which, oh, cool. of course, makes a boatload of sense. And uh, I was already in on the idea of a Scarlet Witch show because I love her so much. But when you tag the vision onto that, I think that's the secret sauce. So That makes me more I think interested we both in know, Cause I think we both know that they all have a happy ending. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, that definitely makes me more interested in it because I like... I like the idea of her having somebody to bounce off of, you know, and literally. Whoa! Do you think she'll bounce? <laughs> he is a robot, my dog. <laughs> That's it. That's peak. That's peak commentary. Let's move on. <laughs> well, with his ability to manipulate his density, that could be. You know, oh, all right. Oh my god. Um. So this bounce, has raised bounce, a lot of bounce, questions. Bounce, right? bounce. So I'm sure we'll talk about that whole situation a lot more as we hear more about potential shows and things like that. Uh, but uh, it's going to be interesting. The, the next phase of Marvel is going to be a very interesting place. And we're definitely going to reference that Hollywood Reporter, Hollywood Reporter article a little bit later. So um, keep that in your mind. Now, there was a major milestone that we just passed literally yesterday. Oh, yeah, what's uh, that? For, for us, it's Saturday, November 3rd. So literally yesterday, a major milestone that everyone seems to have forgotten. I'm very disappointed. Does anyone here know what I am talking about? Uh, when did you say it was? Friday? Yeah, November 2nd. Oh, it was November 2nd, obviously. <laughs> remember, remember, the 2nd of November. What? <laughs> oh, the classic. Guy Fox Day. Anybody? Bueller. So th- that was the uh, that was the original date of the rebranding of uh, now. Never mind. You know, I was trying to piece together a bit like on the fly. There fell apart. It's in humans original date. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it is the original release date for the Inhumans movie. Uh, now, of course, we when we first started this show were so invested. In the Inhumans television show, not in watching it and enjoying it, but in 
in ruthlessly uh, tearing it to shreds because it was really bad. Uh, yeah, I actually went into the bathroom before we recorded and I just kind of started throwing different things in the toilet trying to recreate the Inhumans TV show. And after I flushed it, you know, it didn't work out. But you know what? I'll keep trying to get that just that right recipe down. Nothing, nothing quite clogs your toilet like the Inhumans TV show. <laughs> now, I I was one of the people who genuinely was over the moon excited for this movie, and I'm still to this day very bummed out about the fact that we didn't get it. And that we got a show that was infinitely inferior to whatever the movie would have been. Uh, I mean, this movie was going to have Vin Diesel in it as um, Black Bolt, we, you know. And 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 I wanted I wanted to see these characters on the big screen. Medusa's hair, you know, uh, Lockjaw, uh, and of course we didn't get those things. So that's unfortunate. Um, now, go ahead. So, so you're saying we're not doing a review at the end of the episode? <laughs> Well, Twitter actually was a fire uh, from people who actually did remember what November 2nd was supposed to be. And uh, these were some of the tweets, the genius tweets that were released. <clears throat> oh, this one's from at Guar's Bane. I was so looking forward to the Inhumans movie with Vin in it. Then I heard it was being made into a TV show and that Vin would not be in it. I was sad but had hope. Then the first images, video, and trailer came out and I was crushed. The small budget really hurt them bad. That's right. And then someone else said, uh, at Manabite, said, Who else is going to the early showings of Inhumans tonight? Everybody have their tickets? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And it was... It was things very, very similar to that. Uh, at Tanner underscore Slavin said, about to go see Inhumans. I'm going in with no expectations since they forgot to release the marketing. Wish me luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Listen, man. Vin I, couldn't abandon. Vin couldn't abandon his Fast and Furious family. He just couldn't do it. That's the whole theme of those movies. Right. No, I mean, he was. Also the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was down. He was down. It was going to happen. So I, I have a question for you guys. Uh, is that another random question of the week? I don't know. Pete didn't say anything, so I'm not sure. Listen, hey, hold on. Slow down. You don't get two. You don't get two. <laughs> you only get one. You know what, Just You know, you know what, Kale? Just it's for not. that. It's time for the random question of the week. Round two. Thanks. Excuse me. Hang on. You're this is my lawyer. Yeah, is this my lawyer? That's not my contract. <laughs> That's not my contract. Oh, it is. I can't believe this. Guys, I snuck this into our contract. Thanks, dude. We can do two of them. Hey, you know what? I'm fired. <laughs> well, well, that, that conversation didn't lawyer. go the way I expected it. Shocking. Uh, so, this is a quick one. Uh, the, the, the question is... If you could, ignoring the implications, ignoring what it would mean for the timeline and all that stuff, if you could, would you take a movie from Phase 3 away in order to get the Inhumans movie that we were supposed to get? And if you would, what movie would you take away? And it has to be from Phase 3. What is what is, what is Phase why? 3 again? So that's uh, Thor Ragnarok. That's Black Panther. That's uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, Civil War, um, Guardians, Ant Man and the Wasp. Sorry, Pete. Is Guardians two in Phase three or is that the last Phase two? Uh, 
yeah, that's, that's phase three. three. Yeah, I believe those are the mo- and and of course Avengers uh, Infinity War. Now, if you would have said this was including Phase Two, I would have been like, "Oh yeah, take away Iron Man Three, take away Avengers Two, right, take away right, all right, these right, mediocre right, ass right, films." Right. But as four two, <laughs> yeah. But as it stands, the question's a big fat no. I don't want any of those movies taken away, and I don't give a shit about uh, what if Inhumans movie. Fair enough. But I already know what you're going to say, Sean. You're going to be like, "Oh, take Guardians of the Galaxy Two away and give me my Inhumans movie," and I'm going to be like. No! <laughs> <laughs> Is that your pick, Sean? Uh, man. <sighs> yes. God yes, damn it. it actually is. You get rid of Guardians 2, though? You fell asleep during it. It's, I mean, it's the movie I enjoyed the least of all of the Phase 3 films. And I think that Inhumans would have fulfilled a similar role. And I think... Uh, that that opens up a whole new tapestry for Marvel to play with uh, that Guardians two simply didn't, um, and so I I definitely would trade Guardians two for an Inhumans film. I'm just surprised that's the film you picked. I, you know, I know just because like I knew it. I don't know. I guess it's just because I was so lukewarm on Ant Man and the Wasp. Like I really I, loved it, and you weren't. You were high on it in the review. No, like, I, I liked it, but I, I think, similar to what you said, like, you weren't against Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in our review, but it was the one you liked the least. Like, if there was a movie I was going to cut, that'd be the one for me. Listen, and like, I sat in... I'll... I'll I, I sat in on both of these reviews that we did. Pete, Sean was right. You were definitely pretty high on it, man, the Wasp. In a review of Guardians 2, Sean's been very consistently bagging on this movie since day yeah. one. I didn't like, I didn't, like, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. I didn't think it was good the way everybody else did. Certainly not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would, I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd get rid of Ant-Man and the Wasp for Inhumans too, or for Inhumans, but only just because, like, I know Sean really wants it. I don't really care that much. <laughs> I, I don't miss it. But I, like, if I had never seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, I don't think my life would change. So that's fine. <laughs> I'll mess up your timeline. Fair enough. Uh, Kale, did you already answer? No. Um, <laughs> because right, I, I wanted some, uh, a little bit more information. I was looking to see if there was, uh, a, uh, any, any other specific talent attached to, to the film. Um, and I, I mean, I didn't find anything I didn't already know. Uh, but I think I, I echo the sentiments, uh, of Guardians 2. Um, I, I uh, agree with Sean in the fact that I think this, this film would sort of fill that role in a, in a very similar way. Um, but I think even more so, like, I think I would do, I would probably get rid of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Ooh. Like, I and, like that answer. Wow. The spiciest. And, I like, like that one. I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, but <laughs> so no, fair point, man. Hey, you wouldn't have missed, you didn't miss anything anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. What do you have well, to miss? And, 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 but that's it. also that's also the reason. There have been five other Spider-Man movies. I I mean that's fine. I've seen it. Listen, Kel. If I were to remove any of the Phase Three movies, it would be Spider-Man: Homecoming because it is the worst of the Phase Three movies. But thing is, there's no guarantee that an Inhumans movie would be any good. We don't even know anything about it. Absolutely, 
I hundred percent I hundred percent agree with that. My basis for getting rid of Spider Man Homecoming is purely that we've had five other Spider Man movies. Like it's fine. We know Spider Man. We get it. Like let's yeah, try something two else. Of the, two of them were better too. So there you go. <sighs> All right. Uh so 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 it's. <laughs> So it's better than fifty percent of the Spider-Man movies that we're going to get rid of it for two movies. <laughs> Whatever, it's <laughs> ridiculous, but fine. <laughs> what what can you say? I guess uh, I guess Spider-Man: Homecoming is getting the axe. No more Spider-Man. We don't need you, Sean. I want you to remember that take when we get to episode two hundred. <laughs> hey man, you remember that take because I want you to have the sauce this time. Yeah, and fair, I'll, fair. I believe me, I'll remember all this Guardians two bashing, which is the top five Marvel Studios film. Dude, Thank hey, you very dog, much. listen, Phil, listen, hey, I'm gonna let me part the come out. Let's put yes, you let, hold on, you in the front, uh, you in the front. Let's put the jokes in the joke bookcase. Let's take a second. Let's Phil, you and me. Listen, I love you, dog. Guardians two wasn't that good. It, Look me in the listen, eyes and say that. I, I am doing that right now. That movie was not it's that good, my friend. It's definitely not a top five movie. It is, it is so not. I'm five. sorry. Listen, hey, Phil, Phil, it's coming from a place of love. I love you, brother. It just isn't that good. See, you're wrong. And I'll fight you tooth and nail. Okay. But that is a top five MCU film. It was good. It was, it was definitely. You a, shut a, your like turkey that. hole, turkey. Okay. Uh. I love where this is going. I'm going to bottle this because at another time, I definitely want to further that conversation. Shake it up and make it extra carbonated. That's right. Uh, I want to. I want to. You wanna shut your mouth, Pete. You're wrong. Two hundred. <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm, I don't even acknowledge what you're saying anymore. Right? This. I'm talking to Sean now. Oh, like there's not uh, a whole other person in the that. room. Well, Kale, I'm about to talk about hey, you, so hold shave on. Shave your head again. You're a child and we're talking about you while you're sitting right there. Um, I, I'd like to reopen that discussion in uh, five years when Kale's seen, the, seen Spider-Man Homecoming. He's like, you know what? It's pretty good. My dog, I'm not even making plans <laughs> to see the next Spider-Man. Woo. I'm gonna Kale's pl- going to be busy on that episode of the podcast. <laughs> I'm playing I, I'm playing Spider-Man, and that's like the, the PS4 game here probably at Christmas. And that's going to be the most Spider-Man content I have for the next, like, five years. What about Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, never mind. I'll see that. <laughs> you know what? We can get, guy kills we me. can get rid of Thor Ragnarok. That's another forgettable Phase 3 movie. All right. All right, Mr. Guardians 2. Let's move on. Uh, Probably objectively the best one. No big deal. Well, I mean, that's not saying Black, Black Panther. Like... And oh, yeah, that's an true. <laughs> that's true. Black Panther is definitely better. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant the best Thor, which is like, yeah, sure. Oh, oh yeah, but that's, mean, like, that's like that's like saying what's the best time you've been punched in the face. Like, <laughs> no, no. Thor three was very enjoyable. Uh, Th- Thor three is great, but Thor one and two are so bad. Like, yeah, Thor Ragnarok uh, adequate. You're adequate. What? I, I wish I could say you're adequate. Ouch. All right. Let's Girls want to be with me. Boys want to be like me. No, they Woo! don't. Let's move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> both counting. You know it. Exactly. Miss Marvel 37 has been pushed back seven weeks to a January 30th, 2019 release date. Now, normally that 
wouldn't be something that we would necessarily comment on here. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this was to briefly uh, send best wishes to G. Willow Wilson, who for quite a while now has been battling illness and has been, um, I'm not sure if she's still hospitalized. I don't know that, but I know that she was hospitalized for a while. Yeah. Uh, and she has been on sick leave. So um, Marvel worked with her and uh, they added in a skip month in order to sort of, you know, deal with this uh, unexpected issue. Um, That's cool. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. And then the trade of Miss Marvel 10, which would collect uh, the issues that she's already done, uh, 31 through 36, has also been postponed uh, to March 6th from January 9th, I presume to allow more time for the next trade to come out uh, so that there isn't too big of a gap. Um in the meantime, the artist from Miss Marvel 37, Nico Leon, uh, is now taking some extra work over on Fantastic Four. Uh, she joined the creative team for that book for issue three. Uh, just a little, you know, a little something to make up for the fact that she won't be, um, get, you know, getting the work done on issue 37 for quite some time. But really, I just wanted to say best wishes to G. Willow Wilson. I hope you pull through this. Uh, she seems to be doing a lot better, so that's great. But, uh, you know, you never want to see a creator or anyone dealing with anything that has them out of commission for as long as she has been. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Seriously, best wishes to you. And uh, that is really cool that they um, found a way to make sure that that artist was still getting a paycheck this month, too. So good on Marvel for how they're handling it as well. Yeah. Very cool. This next story is not so cool. This is actually a weird one. Uh, so Boom Studios has canceled the print collection of a webcomic. We talked about those earlier. A webcomic series called Husband and Husband by Jonathan and Aaron Ferrara uh, because uh, it was alleged that that uh, another one of their books called Spellbound actually plagiarizes a very popular webcomic called Check, Please. So Husband and Husband is a webcomic that's been around since 2015 and Boom wanted to, you know, print it and uh, bring that book to the masses. Um, however, the cartoonist for Check, Please, uh, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, Nagazi Ukazu, uh, she said on Twitter that the Spellbound book, which is actually being crowdfunded right now over on Kickstarter, traces her webcomic series um, so this is her tweet. It has come to my attention that at husband's tweet, which is husband and husband creators, is tracing check please. They have funded, they have a funded Kickstarter at $14,000 and basically do not care about the optics of white men profiting off of the ideas and work of black women. So just an hour later, the Ferraras sent out a response tweet that said the following. Words cannot express how sorry and full of regret I am right now. I am such a fan of at Nagoziu work in comics and I got too inspired and I see now what I did by drawing from that inspiration was wrong. The Kickstarter is canceled and I am so sorry for this. I am so um. I am so sorry for all of this. I feel so awful and I'm such a huge fan of your work. I do understand your frustration and have dropped the project completely. Again, I am so sorry for our for all of this. 
And then Boo sent out a tweet basically just saying that it was that the husband and husband book was canceled. What a mess. Yeah. Yeah. What a mess. And what a I don't know, like I don't know this this creator and I can't speak to what's in his heart or whatever, but like that seems like such a bullshit response to me. Like, oh, I was so inspired that I accidentally traced your work. Like, come on. Well, yeah. You so, know? like, how how can you be so inspired by something that you're lifting the art that way? You know. Well, so that 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 was my question. So, by tracing, like, are we talking like, like, the art is like a, a, an exact copy, or or like is? Yeah, I, I wish I wish that she had put up like a side by side. There is. If you go to her, her, her oh. I'll I'll give you guys the link right here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, please. It's uh, oof. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh man, it's 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 as bad as it sounds. Yeah, if right? you scroll down just a little bit to that first GIF there. Ooh, I mean, it's the same thing. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, that's pretty, yeah, that's not great. <laughs> it's the same like hand wave. It's, yeah, I mean, the it's, eyes. Yeah, and and I'm assuming that she did her homework, and that's one example. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, like. This is this is so unbelievably. This is yeah. It's exactly the wow. same. Like how do you how do you <laughs> that's uh, man <laughs> just so inspired. Now right, and now I want to go back to that tweet. Words cannot express how sorry and full of regret I am right now. I'm such a huge fan for being caught, and I got too inspired. And I see now what I did by drawing from that inspiration was wrong. The, the, literally drawing on, from literally drawing from <laughs> yeah dude it's like and 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 there's something to be said for that as a thing like that can happen right like that's happened to me as a musician before where i've been like oh this is a great chord progression that i'm like oh it's because it's this song that i like that i'm ripping off right and like that can happen but not like this dude like this is such a it's it's so clear that it's the same thing. It happens it happens to writers. Like I was writing something one day, I was like, Oh, this is great. This is hot fire. Oh sh- shit, it's Watchmen. Uh, <laughs> right. Like that little book. And I understand that. <laughs> but but you don't get this far in the game with multiple examples and it, it to trace like the the like the exact gesture and and the the figure, like that's crazy. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. I'm in the middle of creating my book, and it's like, uh-oh. You know what? I was tracing over top the Last Supper. Damn it. Easy mistake. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't I don't think this defense or apology or whatever you want to call it holds any water. And this seems like somebody who got caught and is now trying to be like, oh, it was an accident. I'm so sorry. I'm such a big fan of your work. Uh-oh. Like, I would like to, I would like to have a career moving forward. Uh-oh, I accidentally pooped in my hands. And and mind you, That's basically you know, there's there, there's not a lot of um, work available from this book because it's in Kickstarter, but that's one panel. Who knows how much more there was that was also traced. And she she says it in, the, in her tweets, but she said, like, that's the first page of both and it's the first page that's ripping off her yeah, first page, yeah. right? Yes. So it's like it's like a one to one thing. Wild. 
and, and the last thing I wanted to say about this, well, two two things. Uh, one is it would be one thing if it was, say, like, if it was clearly an homage to a book that is available in stores, that's made its money, you know, like, like it's one thing if you're going to take, like, let's say, a like, you know, that iconic Spider-Man holding up the, you know, the weight of, of like, if you were going to take that and find a way to work that into your book because you're so inspired by that page or that panel. Okay, well, that's like a old book that's made its money time and time again. This is a struggling creator. I mean, I, I don't know her life, but I'm assuming, right? Um, and she's trying to actively profit off of her book to pay her bills. That's bullshit, you know? This is a totally different situation. And, I, yeah. you know, it's great that you're inspired, but not not like this. The uh, Well, dude, and like, to, go ahead. to your point, Sean, if it was actually an homage, he would say that. He would say, oh, this book was such an inspiration to me. My book couldn't have existed without it. And I or I really wanted my first page to honor that inspiration. And here's a link. You know, and, and, and here's please go yeah, check out that book. Yeah. Yeah, not pay for my Kickstarter and never hear of this book. Right. Which is what they were doing. Yeah. You know, it's like, come on, dude. Like, I don't want to say they because, like, you don't know, right? Like, maybe this was just the artist ripping this off. I don't necessarily want to implicate his partner, like, because we're not sure. But, like, at the very least, the artist ripped off this art and did not have any intention of of crediting the person who he was, quote, inspired by until he got called out on it. And that's low. That is the, in my opinion, artistically, that's the lowest thing you can do is steal someone else's work and pass it off as as your own to profit from it. It's like, do you have no integrity? It's not great. Uh, The other point that I wanted to make was just a broader point about webcomics, which is just that, you know, that's the dangerous part about it. That's the part about it that that can get weird when you're not, um, you know, you can't do that to Tom King. Because Tom King works for DC, DC has lawyers, they'll come for you. You can't just take his work and appropriate it uh, uh, elsewhere. That, that's not going to work. Uh, but you can do that to small potatoes creators who don't necessarily always have their ducks in a row, who don't necessarily always have this, the money to hire a lawyer or, or, or to protect themselves properly. It happens all the time. And that's sort of the danger of working in that space where it's kind of the Wild West with all that stuff. She used what power she had, which was the internet, to be able to go after these people and to make enough noise that now the Kickstarter's canceled and that's not going to happen. And she probably got a little bit of a bump in her fame as a result. But not everybody will be this successful. And we talk all the time and we see all the time small potatoes creators whose artwork appears miraculously in movies and television and all kinds of stuff and they don't get paid or recognized. It happens all the time. Like ad campaigns and stuff. Like you see this all the time. Like internet creators who get their shit bit. You know, I mentioned Adam Totes earlier. That's happened to him a lot. And he's constantly like posting, here's an ad that's repurposing my art. You know, like it'd be really cool if you could do something about it because I legally own this. And yeah, it's like, to your point though, Sean, unless people had picked up this story, it wouldn't have happened. And the book would have come out and nobody would have known. So protect yourselves. That's that's the best advice uh, that we can possibly give. Just protect yourselves as best as you can. And don't be don't be crappy, you know, just, just uh, get by on your own work. And I would say, like, I think a huge thing here is, like, kudos to all of the fans that saw this message and 
and pushed it because that's why this is happening now. So I think like take the advice of uh, the New York City transit system. And if you see something, say something. (laughs) Wow. All right. Yes. The wise words of the MTA. (laughs) Never been right before. Broken clocks right twice a day, right? can't even get a train on time on the MTA, man. It's bullshit. Anyway. They can give you great advice about your the rights of your digital comics. Right. Though. <laughs> uh, so diversity, obviously, is a big conversation when it comes to comic books. But it's also a big conversation when it comes to film. And we talk about this pretty regularly. Uh, now, there's a tale of two Kevins that is going to unfold here really quick. Kevin Sujihara who is the chairman and CEO of Warner Brothers, and Kevin Feige, who, of course, is the main man over at Marvel Studios. Now, both of them recently spoke about diversity and the importance of diversity in film and how that worldview has impacted the movies that they make. And so I want to read what they had to say, and then you guys will you know, comment. So uh, we'll start with Sujiara. He said... To maintain our relevance and creative excellence, we need to work with new voices and tell new stories. Stories that reflect a global perspective. From the faces we see on screen to those writing scripts and on set or making the magic happen in the editing room. Diversity not only feels good, it is good for the bottom line. We all must ensure that there is greater inclusion of women, people of color, LGBTQ plus community, those with disabilities, and underrepresented groups both in front of and behind the camera. We know it is right and we know it works. Audiences are hungry for great stories and it doesn't matter if the characters are black or white, Asian or Latino, male or female, gay, straight, or transgender. Warner Brothers is recognizing the importance and value and power of diversity in our content and our people. That's great. And then this last line I also thought was huge. Um, Every other global entertainment medium, professional sports, social media, music, other genres transcend race. Lady Gaga, Beyonce, and Aquafina all have appeal beyond borders and beyond labels, but somehow in movies we haven't been able to make that leap. We say that certain genres of film don't travel well, or that international audiences aren't open to diverse leads. It is incumbent on the entire entertainment industry to stop making excuses for self-fulfilling prophecies and instead get creative about the way we market diverse content to global audiences. We share a common humanity, especially in these perilous times. Now that's a that's a very well thought out, well spoken, uh, and very direct message from someone with a lot of power in this industry. Uh, do you, so I, I'm assuming you guys all agree with that, right? Like it's probably go ahead. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that, right? Given the 106 episodes we've done on this show, um, I think our opinions about diversity in art are pretty well established, but. I think there's a wrinkle to this that I'd like to throw in that I think is something that um, doesn't often get talked about when this conversation comes up. I think a lot of the conversation around diversity in art comes from a moral imperative that it's the correct thing to do. And I agree with that as a person, but as a consumer of art, and this is a, a point I made during our Black Panther review, I think it's actually more valuable to art itself than it is even the moral correctness of it. 
because I think the, to me, the most important thing that art can achieve is to expand your worldview and expand your mind, you know? And the best way to do that is to get the best art. And the best art isn't all going to come from one kind of person. And you're not going to get the same stories all from one kind of person. And I thought and felt things in Black Panther that I had never felt in another film experience, right? And that broadened my view and, you know, was an enriching experience for me because the reins were handed to people that don't often get the, that opportunity, you know? And I think that's true across the board is that like, if you want the best art, you let the best art rise to the top. And that comes from pulling down barriers of entry to making the art, you know, and whether that's institutionalized attitudes, whether that's can quote unquote conventional wisdom, that's bullshit, whether that's democratizing the tools to create the art, um, all those things lead to better art and a more competitive landscape. And that's something that unless you're, a fucking bigot who doesn't want your art to come from somebody who doesn't look, think, and sound like you. That's something that I, I don't see why you would be against. And I think the whole, on the conventional wisdom note, look at Black Panther and how well that did. Look at Wonder Woman and how, and how well that did. The conventional wisdom is obviously wrong or it's, or it's changed since we decided that was what was right. And it's, it's time for the film industry to catch up. But, and it's not just the film industry, but I think it's the biggest industry that hasn't gotten there yet. Eloquently put, Peter and Bessie. So, Kevin Feige, in that very Hollywood Reporter roundtable discussion, had some things to say about this as well. So, the question was, two big movies this year, Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians, featured really diverse casts. Was there a big fight you had to take on to get these two movies made? Sorry. And Kevin Feige said... We had Black Panther on our schedule for a while. We had amazing support. Bob Iger and Alan Horn at no point questioned it. Quite the opposite. They said, this needs to stand alongside the biggest movies you've made. It had a budget that matched that. At no point was there a question about this market or that market or where does it play. It was a big movie that we were going to make with an almost entirely African and African American cast. Now, that's exactly what you want to hear. Right, And then going forward, the, the, another question was, when we're talking about diversity in Hollywood, a big topic of conversation has been the idea of an inclusion writer. What do you think of putting a represent, representation requirement on writing? Now, I'm going to stop there. That's a very big question because one of the things that often comes up when the conversation about diversity is had is, well, um, are you going to force people to tell stories about uh, different kinds of people? Are you going to force creative people to include people that they didn't necessarily intend to or to include representation that wasn't a part of their story initially? That's a big, big question. And so Kevin Feige said, well, one question is, should people be forced to do it? And maybe the answer is yes. Maybe the answer is no. If you're in a position of power and you're the one doing the hiring, we have learned on our last number of movies and a number of movies that haven't come out or haven't been announced that the more diverse the group of people around the table, the better the movie. 
Ryan Coogler actually said, do you have production designers, costume designers that you'd like to work with? And we said, sure, but if you have some, let us know. And he said, well, I've worked with various people on films that were excellent, but much smaller than Black Panther. And in the case of every single crew member that he brought to us, they blew us away. They were incredible. And it was because we were open to listening and giving people an opportunity. And now, you know, we're desperate to work with them on all of our films going forward. Wow. So what was his what was the initial question? Uh the the question that prompted the that, first response or the second one? The the one that you just read. The question was when we're talking about diversity in Hollywood a big topic of conversation has been the idea of an inclusion writer. What do you think of putting a representation requirement in writing? What what I like about that is in this industry there is so much nepotism. Uh, that runs rampant and it's really stymies creativity it really stymies opportunity and i was the next thought i had is it's an industry of who you know but this is the very top level of that and because of their willingness to indulge ryan coogler about people that he's worked with on previous projects it created a very distinct visual project out of black panther that we probably wouldn't have had otherwise in this shape and form and so hearing that there is perhaps less clear nepotism happening there at the house of mouse for these marvel films is assuring because listen the less the less styming there is from the top down Typically, the better the output is yeah and i think i think this sounds like a reasonable balance that they've struck because I think like what you're saying, Phil, is mostly true. But even if you just look at it in a totally – like just put all the facts in a row on the table, right? Nepotism still played a role in why those people got yes. hired. It was just through Ryan Coogler who was somebody that they had decided was worthy of coming to the table, right? And I think that's always going to be the case like in creative industries. Like when you work with somebody and especially when you're an established creator, you find people that you like to work with. And you try to present them with opportunities to keep working with right, you. and I and I think I, I I I I try to reflect that, but I think there's a difference between a creator coming in with people that he's worked with in the past versus a studio saying, "Well, let's go, you know, through the people that we." This know. is our person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is I think having a healthy balance of those things is is a good start because I think, like you said, you have to stop start at the top down. And I think if Marvel's attitude is we want to bring in more diverse creators at the top level and then allow them to bring in other people at lower levels so that we're constantly finding new voices and not allowing things to get stale, that seems like a good approach, at least for the start. In terms of the idea of like a diversity rider, that's something I'm totally comfortable with uh, behind the scenes. You know, like they said, having like a writer um, thing like that, I think that makes sense to me. I think having something where like you want to have a certain amount of diversity behind the scenes so that you because I think the the attitude that a lot of people who are against that kind of thing often take are that well wouldn't the best thing to do be to hire whoever's the best person for the job not try and achieve some level of diversity but I think anyone who knows anything about affirmative action knows that if you statistically you know look at hiring practices as an practices it we're not hiring 
across those um, those guidelines, right? It's not always the person who's the best person for the job because hiring biases come in and and affect those things in a way that's observable. So I think asking creative um, communities to try and self-police this issue by having their own diversity rider or their own like you know semblance of affirmative action, I don't think that's wrong. I think the only time that it's wrong is when you try to force that onto a creative vision. You know, like I think, uh, like we, we talked about, about Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians as films that are diverse. And they're diverse in the broader landscape of Hollywood, but to the point that we made earlier, most of the people in Black Panther are African-American or African. And I think that makes sense for that movie, right? Or Crazy Rich Asians, which is about Crazy Rich Asians is predominantly an Asian cast. And I don't think that forcing a white character into those movies or forcing another person of color into those movies for the sake of checking a box is positive. But I don't think that you need to do that to make Hollywood a more inclusive place and to um, talk about or do what Kevin Feige saw here, which is bring in new people who are untested, who you didn't know about because of the way that Hollywood works and improve the film without changing the way it's written or something like that, right? I'm definitely for inclusion on screen, but I don't think we need to necessarily have like, well, we need to have this number of diverse characters in this film or, or this or whatever. But I think doing it behind the scenes is a great way to just get more of those voices involved anyway, you know, because I don't think that you need to be, um, uh, I don't think you need to be a part of the community that a film is about to have a valuable perspective to improve the quality of the film, right? Like, I think those diverse voices that they brought in, they said they're now interested in having work on every other film that they're, that they have in their slot. And I'm sure they'll be better for it, you know, but it's not necessarily like, well, we're going to make sure that every film has the same kind of, um, like breakup when it comes to casting or writing or those kinds of things. Those are things that depend on the film. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because for me, I really don't like the idea of forced, uh, you, you gotta have this many people of X working on this project. Um, it makes me feel weird. Like, well, did I get this job because I'm the right person or did I get it because if you didn't hire me, you were going to get sued or you were going to have to pay a fine or whatever. That's a weird, that's, that's a very weird question. And uh, it's one that I've wrestled with for many, many years. And um, I, I think I think where I've landed is probably like, even though you're right, Pete, that if you don't do it, we see clear examples of how the right person doesn't always win. I'd rather I'd rather not get an opportunity because someone's a piece of garbage than get an opportunity because the government says I need to get this or because I'm being pushed to the front of the line. Because there's some kind of law on the books or law at, at Warner that says that someone lo who looks like me has to get it. I want to get my opportunities based on merit. And a lot of minorities feel that way. So when I hear this kind of talk, it makes me feel very strange. But can I ask you a question? Yeah, Pete. What – so as you said, you've thought about this a lot. Do, can you think of – an alternative to you that feels that doesn't give you that pause that also achieves the goal of kind of like um 
presenting more opportunities for for like not even just minorities, but like well, I guess you could just say minority groups, right? Like people who are who are like yes, disproportionately yeah. not getting those jobs in Hollywood. Uh, the answer is 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 just more Kevin Feige's. Really, the answer is more Alan Horns and Bob Iger's. People who aren't going to stand in the way. They could have said to him. He could have said to them, hey, we've got this director, Ryan Coogler. He's done this, this, and that. And they go, eh, can you get somebody who's a little bit, uh, you know, more on our side of the skin tone? And he goes, well, I, his hands are tied. What can he do? He has to find somebody that they want. Otherwise, they don't get the money, you know, for the movie. Or like the or the, the idea of like, well, no one's going to go see a movie that's all black people. Right. Yeah, or whatever. So, so it's... It's one of those things where the answer to what bad people do is good people uh, in a lot of instances. And this is an instance where that's how I feel. For, for Kevin, Kevin Feige is the answer to every other producer who has said no or who has said this won't work. Because now, based on what he's done, a lot more people will say yes, whether it's for altruistic reasons or not. They will say yes. The problem with that is just it's just not that's not enforceable that I mean, the reason why we're talking about Kevin Feige like this is because he is the exception. The reality is, and Pete mentioned this, it's measurable. The fact that this just doesn't happen. Racism and prejudice at such a top bottom level is quantifiable in every industry in the country, every occupation. And I don't think it is unreasonable to assume that if a person were hired because of affirmative action laws is not solely due to their skin color but also because the merit of their resume is comparable to people uh that are caucasian because the reality is that's that's who favors from the lack of or a man or a man sure um the example always comes up in Supreme Court nominees where uh, they, you know, a, a smart alecky pundit will say, oh, so I guess now there's a Latina chair in the Supreme Court or, oh, I guess now there's two African-American chairs in the Supreme Court, things like that. But the reality is with something like that and then frankly in any other occupational field, there are thousands of people who are qualified to be that person in that chair it could be the supreme court or any given chair and in most of these cases there is a quantifiable barrier keeping them out of being there yeah but you know what i don't want i don't want the color of my skin to be a reason why i get a job i want the 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 value of my ideas and the value of my abilities to do the job to be the reason that I get the job. But do is you want, the reason go ahead. But do you want your your color your skin color to be the barrier preventing you from getting a job? That's not anything that I can neither one of those are anything that I can control, but I certainly don't want a handout in life. I don't I don't think it's fair to look at it as Pete, a Pete, you can't tell me what's I, fair I, in that in that instance. Oh, yep. <laughs> 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 fair enough. I think the 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 point that that like Phil and I are like you know dancing around I guess is that like if if that if somebody doesn't make that step though will somebody who is qualified for the job ever get that yes Ryan Coogler got the job 
Sure. My point is that my point is that yes, there's a history of this being what it is. You guys are right. I'm not arguing that point. That's not, I'm, I'm not. I haven't been. There is a history. It is a problem. It's a problem in 2018, uh, and it'll be a problem in 2028. But the point is that we are working. There are good people. There are angels, right? That are working towards a better society. Kevin Sujihara and Kevin Feige are two people who have major, major power in film. And they are saying no more of this, you know? And Kevin Sujihara himself is one of my people in the sense that he is a minority. And he's saying no more of this. And so my hope... And to your point, he's the top, he's the head of this yeah, company. My hope is that that is what will open more doors and what will allow me in the future or my kids or my friends or whoever to get opportunities based on their merit and their merit alone the same way that anybody else can and it's a uniquely i mean i'm for i hate to i always hate to uh break things down this way but it is it is a problem that is for the most part uniquely uh minority based and when i say minority sadly i mean anything other than white men uh because in, in those instances, you know, if we're talking about who's going to make the Godfather, right? Like, white men are qualified. I'm not, right? Like, that's how that has traditionally worked. Uh, and what I'm saying is that I want us to all be judged squarely on the content of our character and on our value as creators and just and not based on our skin. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ultimately, I think, what we all want. You know, and I, I think like for me, the only argument to be made is for that that type of like affirmative action like thing is that it's not happening fast enough. But to your point, like there is a objective viewable change that's happened and that's happened recently that I think is going to loom large. And even outside of the conversation of like the superhero stuff, right? Just like movies that make money. Um, in the last two years, three of the biggest blockbusters, two of them were directed by black men and one was directed by a woman. And those are both new developments. And um, those were unprecedented, unprecedentedly successful films uh, in, in certain ways. You know, and I think like to your point, money talks. And even uh, <laughs> even like somebody who is not like a in the streets bigot, like someone who's just, well, you know, like you said, the kind of person who's like, well, let's get a white person because they're more whatever. It's like, if the money talks, then they're not going to care. You know, if all you care about is money, then if diversity sells, diversity's good. So hopefully, hopefully you're right, Sean, you know, that, um, that this, well, hopefully you're right that it will change. Hopefully you're wrong that it will still be this bad in 2020. That's all I have. That's all I've got left. <laughs> Kale, you didn't get a word in edgewise, man. Do you want to share something before we move on? I don't. I don't. I don't want to sit here and and struggle to you know um, add to what's already been said. I I don't you know know how I feel uh, about the whole thing. Um, I think uh, you know uh, it is a very complicated situation. Um, 
you know, there, there are merits to all sides, of course. Um, but I, I think I do lean more toward the, the more cynical attitude of, you know, well, there are only, you know, a couple of people who do this, uh, right and do it, you know, you know, there's only one Kevin Feige and there's only one Bob Iger and there's only one, that other guy and they're, you know, Alador. and then there's only, you know, that one other Kevin, like, uh, you know, uh, how, how long, how, how long do you have before they're not in charge anymore? And, and granted, you know, they are, you know, as has been stated, they're, they have been very successful in all of the things they've done, but, you know, they've also only kind of started doing stuff this year or, or, you know, within the past couple of years, Black Panther only came out in November of last year. We only just had uh, a woman in the title of a, a Marvel movie alone you know over the summer yeah we still got a long way to go yeah and and you know it's taken this long i i kind of and and you know certainly certainly not to you know uh take away from what you're saying sean at all um i i see the inclusion writer as something that will make that stuff happen and and will you know with the right attitude will change minds in a quicker way. But, you know, uh, I, 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 I do realize that that means that people have to have the right attitude about it. And shitty white men often don't. Um, and, and just the last thing I'll kind of point out is that the reason I asked, uh, asked you to repeat that question was I, I kind of felt like Feige danced around it. I, I danced around the answer. You know, uh, I don't, you know, and, and similar to him, like, I, you know, his first sentence is, well, the question is, should we be forced to do it? Maybe yes, maybe no. That's how I feel, yeah. But then he, he, he kind of, <laughs> he, he goes on to just kind of say, well, you know, we we had Ryan Coogler come in, and he knew some people, and we brought them in, and wow, we were blown away. But, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just, he kind of walked around the question, and I don't know. So, I'll just share what I got from what he said, and then we can, we can jump off this. Uh, what I got from what he said is, sometimes... You don't need to be forced to do the right thing. Sometimes you just have to be a good person. And there was an opportunity to do something that made sense. And they just did it because it made sense. Not because someone forced them to. Not because there was a mandate. um, And not because they wanted to do this because they wanted to be good people. Just because it made sense to do it. And they did it. And that's what I got from that, that you don't always need to have, you know, a, a rider to force people to do these things. You just do what makes sense. And a lot of times you'll come out on top and Black Panther came out on top. So there you go. Uh, so before we 
before we uh, get into our main topic, which is going to be us reading Heroes in Crisis number two and Fearscape number two, there is a big piece of news that uh, I want to quickly go into. So we finally learned who the villain of Birds of Prey is going to be, and it's a villain that uh, has been rumored for a very, very long time to be appearing in a Batman-related film. And that villain is Black Mask. But that's not the story. The story is who's going to play him. And the answer is Ewan McGregor. Sean, I was so hopeful that when you were setting up that villain line that you were going to say, and the villain is Ewan McGregor. (laughs) That's probably... Classic Batman villain, long rumored to show up. (laughs) Ewan McGregor's here. I, uh, I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about that, because that's shocking. Does, now, do you think he has the high ground? <laughs> no, because, um, no, no. Do you think he'll kill younglings? Now, listen, yes. I don't know, I don't know the Black Mask's origin, but does he stand behind a force field and watch his master die? Yes. That was a great comic. Is actually. there like is there going to be like forty five minutes of the movie where we just watch him like be a detective? No, he's not very smart in that regard. So, uh, but no, but seriously, no, yeah, but seriously, uh, this is cool. I guess. I mean, like, this is one of those announcements that's like tough for me to feel uh, to feel out how I feel about it, especially in a post Venom world. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because. My initial reaction to the idea of a Birds of Prey movie was a negative one. You know, it's like, DC's track record's been really bad. I don't really feel like the Birds of Prey is is the property that they're going to turn it around on. And I feel like, especially with their Suicide Squad take on Harley Quinn, I very much was like, cool, so this is going to be the movie where we have a lesbian kiss that everybody YouTubes, right? And everyone's going to be dressed up like Hot Topic characters. Like, that's what we're going to get out of this film. Um, and maybe that's an antiquated way of looking at what the DCEU is capable of. I, I mean, so not yet. Like, don't, don't give them that yet. much credit. Not, not yet. yet. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying, Kale, like, I saw Venom, and now I don't know which way is up. Now it's like, this could, it could be good. Who knows? Anything could I be good. I broke like, his brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, my new attitude is going to be to go into every one of these movies with no with expectations. One particular three-word phrase in mind. Phil Casey, tell me what that phrase is. Well, Kale, I'm glad you asked. It could be good. What could be good? Exactly. Uh, Anything. Yeah, well, that's true too, but Ewan McGregor. So to that end, I really like, I really like him as an actor. You know, I think like when, when it comes to like the things that are salvageable about the, uh, the prequel trilogies, he's, he's one of those things, I think. So why not? Yeah, I like him. Maybe this will be a, another step towards making the movie good. What was... What was the last thing that Ewan McGregor was in, huh? Christopher Robin. Oh, yeah. I watched that movie, oh, too. Yeah. Was it good? It was okay. Uh, I, in 20... 20- well, I mean, from Phil Casey, that means it was probably like... That's, that's, like, that's almost everything. So. <laughs> that's true. Could've in 2017, right. he was also in <laughs> T2, Train Spotting. Uh, 
Huh. <laughs> uh, right. My point there being, uh, he was in the Train Spotting movies. Oh, yeah. Which I have you guys seen those? The no. first one. I have. The not. first one is good. Is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I think, you know, depending on how he, how it goes. I mean, I I, I think Black Mask done right is a sort of, of a, yeah yeah is sort of a an unhinged businessman. Uh, Wilson uh, Fisk. No, 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 more like Crazier. more like uh, American Psycho. Oh yeah, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Patrick that's Bates. Happened in that movie. Yeah, that's his name. Patrick that's Bateman. The character's name. Okay, Patrick Bateman. I yeah, closer to that I think. So I'll be. I'm I'm very interested to see uh, an uh, an unhinged Ewan McGregor. Yeah. He's a good actor. Uh, most folks remember him from the terrible Star Wars movies, but uh, he's done a lot of good stuff too. He was in Big Fish, great movie. Great movie. Um, that is a great movie. So I'm I'm into it. Uh, this is not something I would have thought of. I guess um, would not have pictured Ewan McGregor as Black Mask, but um, you. I just want to point out you've pronounced his first name differently every time you said <laughs> Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. You just said you just said Ewan. I don't know where you got that one from, but well, he's Scottish, uh, so that's right. <laughs> so I actually am flabbergasted by this casting because flabbergasted. I don't, yes, because I don't understand what Ewan McGregor and Black Mask have in common, but I also didn't get it. When Heath Ledger was cast as a Joker, and I will never question <laughs> casting again. I'll tell you what they have in common: acting. Huh. <laughs> so I just real quick, I I googled Black Mask so that I could see like what he looked like to try and like picture you and McGregor as him, and it just came up with a bunch of ladies with charcoal faces, <laughs> like you uh, know, like yeah, face scrubs. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right, maybe I need to add DC Comics in there. Well, hey, Birds you- of Prey. Don't you remember? That's very much. It's pretty much what he looks like anyway. I mean, he he just looks like Red Skull. Yeah, yeah Mister uh, Mister. I don't really read DC. Don't you remember him in uh, Arkham City? Was he in yes. Arkham City? It was yeah. either. I think it was Arkham City. Or maybe it was. It might have been Night. But either way, I do kind of remember him. But like only eh, not that much. Like he was a major guy. major side quest character. Yeah. In any event. Oh yeah, here's actually the thing. I'm I'm actually a massive Black Mask fan. Uh, so I can't wait to see this character finally, finally appear on the big screen. I was hopeful that we would get him in, um, in, uh, gosh, uh, why am I blanking on the name of this movie? The Dark Knight Rises. And then I was hopeful again for the solo Batman movie, but that's never going to happen. So... Whatever. Black Mask would have yeah, been... Are you, are you bummed that he's not going toe-to-toe with Batman? Well, uh, there is actually a report that suggests that uh, that might happen. Uh, just because um, DC's standard contract is a three-movie deal plus um, any kind of cameos. So if this is only one of three, it very well could be possible that he will appear against Batman. But I think Black Mask's connection to Batman isn't strong enough that he has to be you know appearing in in a movie with Batman in it I think he 
he functions perfectly fine as a villain for um, a, a Birds of Prey movie. Sure. And you're like, <clears throat> excuse me, you're interested enough in him as a character that it doesn't matter. Like you're excited to see him, even if he's not going up against. Batman. Yeah, and I certainly think he's a better choice than Penguin, which was what was yeah, uh, yeah. talked about before. So, um, also, Sean, him and Dark Knight Rises would have been uh, a perfect fit. I think actually, I think so too. What Tom Hardy could have had a stupid voice for that too. Watch your tongue, Peter Dessie. <laughs> exactly. Just. Just make him sound like a guy in a Halloween mask. Pete, do you feel in charge? <laughs> I never feel Phil, in charge. you merely adopted a stupid voice. Pete was born with it. Born with it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'd killed my first man with a sonic blast before I was even a man. Damn. Oh man! Uh, and then well, also, is wondering. Go ahead, go ahead, it. go ahead, go ahead, man. Perhaps he's wondering why he'd shoot him with a gun and then throw him out to plane. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man! What a what a movie! What a good movie! Um, Tom Hardy's second most iconic role. Fish, fish, pasta, pasta. The the only other note on this movie is that it's going to be rated R. That's now confirmed. Uh, oh, so. Black Mask is in it. I I would be disappointed if it was any less. Yeah, we need yeah. those f bombs. That dude's crazy. Uh, if he doesn't yeah. beat a second uh, Batman protege with a crowbar, I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> uh, so let's let's dive into our reviews. Let's let's get through these. Um, <laughs> Let's get him over with. No. Speaking of be- <laughs> speaking of beating people with a crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> Let's review Fearscape. Oh, that's not where I was going. Go. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah. So let's let's do Fearscape number two first. Um, so this book is the second in uh, a limited series by Ryan O'Sullivan. Um, that uh, we reviewed the first issue way back on another episode of this podcast. I don't remember the number, so go find it for yourself. Um, hopefully, you guys at home have read have read the first one. This is an advanced review, uh, so the book is not actually out yet. It'll be out next week. So if you want to read it and don't want to hear anything at all about it, you're probably not going to want to listen to this review. Uh, we don't have to spoil it, which is fair enough because it's not out. We won't spoil it. Um, but if you really just don't want to hear anything at all, you're going to want to skip ahead. But uh, so let's just talk about it. Uh, we now, will, Phil, we will have those ahead. time codes in the uh, in the episode notes. So yes. Thank you, Kill. Yes. Uh, Phil, you have an interesting relationship with Ryan, and you, uh, on our last episode... Are you guys sleeping together? Mm, Congratulations. Who's to say? say? You were critical of Fearscape number one, so why don't you talk about this issue? Did it alleviate some of your concerns, or is it more the same for you? Yeah, you know, um, I thought this was one and done. Um, thought we were done talking about this book, about this writer. And then somehow we got talked into doing a second one. That's, I'm, not, I'm not being sincere. <laughs> uh, I was actually uh, 
I was looking forward to reading this, even though I was critical of the first one. And uh, that all said, I'm still apprehensive. Uh, some of my criticisms about the first one are still uh, lingering in the second one, uh, but to a lesser extent, because in this issue, without giving too much away, uh, we do go deeper into the fearscape and seeing how the characters that reside within the fearscape interact with Henry Henry uh, has made me more intrigued. And Henry Henry's own... Um, Again, I don't want to like give too much away, but the way he interacts with his surroundings, which are super surreal, uh, and being the uh, you know belligerently you know unaware person that he is, uh, is also super intriguing. Uh, I like it more than the first issue, Mister Ryan. Uh, I will give you that. Uh, I am ready for a third one. Uh, yeah, I was I was also a big fan of this issue. I think. Um, oh, was... not also a big fan. You were a big fan of the issue. Okay, well, <laughs> I was a big fan of the issue. Uh, <laughs> I um I I was definitely into the premise of the initial you know the pitch we got in issue number one. I like Henry Henry as a character uh, and as like kind of an unreliable narrator. And um, I I too was interested to learn more about the Fearscape in this issue. Uh, I think what we did learn about it was definitely intriguing to me. And I, without spoiling the issue, I was uh, very surprised by how it ended and where it ended. So I, um, I'm very interested to see where issue three takes us and what the long-term ramifications of Henry's actions were uh, from issue two. So as much as the initial um, issue kind of drew me in just on premise alone, this felt like the follow-up I needed to want to keep going with it, you know, because there are more and more threads being established that I'm interested to pull on. I uh, also want to mention that the art really is fantastic here. Um, and, and there's a part in the book, again, without going into spoilers, where uh, Henry Henry is confronted with his own shortcomings, his own... Uh, fallacies uh and as as the, the the character is throwing all these problems that uh henry henry has back in his face the speech bubbles are overlaid with his own thought bubbles as he's basically just completely ignoring uh everything that's being brought up to him about his own shortcomings uh which reflects henry henry as a character because he's extremely arrogant he's extremely uh, pretentious and pompous which reflects in the narrative uh writing um and i thought that was really interesting both issues there's a lot of little things like that that are uh really quirky and good i think yeah that's a that's a device that happens three or four times in the both the first and the second issue but but yeah uh to to phil's uh point like it does specifically block off a, a part that would basically i i assume give away you know where the story is yes. going um and and it's henry henry's caption over that speech bubble and it it works very well yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed this one. Uh, I don't know if I liked it more than the first, necessarily, but I think I, I'm i just in for the ride at this point. Uh, I'm not as interested in the comparison between issues, I suppose, 
this one really struck me differently just because I felt that Henry was vulnerable. Uh, and that's clearly yes. a, a you know a th- there's that's a theme of of this uh, particular issue, is that now he is sort of vulnerable and we're getting to see that as smart as he thinks he is, he's not as smart as he thinks he is, and we knew that in the first one, but he was smart enough to get himself into the position that he gets into, and then here this time, you know, uh, we we, we kind of see that uh, that he's he's only really fooling himself. Because he's not even fooling us. And that's what's so fun about this journey. Is that this is a character who is aware that he's not in full control. But also thinks he's in full control. Uh, so I really am just, just enjoying this in a lot of ways. Uh, I love the ways in which you could compare Henry Henry to a real writer. Um, and just... Go ahead. <laughs> and, and even... A fake writer, more appropriately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Um, One who plagiarizes and doesn't get caught on Twitter. <laughs> His Kickstarter didn't launch yet. Exactly. That's right. That happens in issue three. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. But um, and and the art was really fantastic. Uh, Andrea Moody did a did a great job with this one, as he did in the first one. So. Uh, uh, I recommend this book. I recommend that you go pick it up. I, w- I wish we could speak more about it, but uh, it's not out yet. And I wanted to get us, get our words out there in support of this book because it is good and because Ryan is a friend. And, um, you know, just to entice you guys to go pick that up. So it's got the Comics Pal seal of approval, which is worth a lot, let me tell you. Uh, so go pick it up. Vault Comics. Yeah, I... I, I- I'm sorry. I just, I just one last point I did want to make is I, I do think um, to the the point on the art. I, I think that was kind of the one thing that did stick out to me for issue two as maybe being a little bit better because we got just to explore yeah. more yeah. and yeah. the creativity at play there was is really really engaging. Um, so yeah, great work on the second issue, boys. All right, Ryan O'Sullivan, I'm speaking directly to you now. Keep them coming. I'm ready to read more. <laughs> All right, so now let's 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 talk about Heroes in Crisis number two. This is Let, let's talk yeah, about it. This Sean. is the big one, and this book we're gonna do full spoilers for because it is out. Wee woo. Uh, so if you don't want to hear that, then uh, you're probably gonna want to use those timestamps to port you to another portion of this episode. Uh, let's just talk about it. What did you guys think? Mm. It was fine. Sleepy issue. I felt more about this one how most people seem to feel about the first one, where it felt very uneven to me. There's moments that worked for me, but uh, by and large, it felt it was a little shaky. I am surprised by what I am taking away from this. I um, I was some I was very apprehensive about the therapeutic aspects of the book because I thought that's really easy to be tone deaf. But what I'm walking away with is being the most intrigued by these one-on-one interviews in the nine-panel format. Uh, and I kind of wish the whole story revolved around the trauma of being a superhero as opposed to kind of shoehorning this murder mystery in that this kind of feels... 
uh, I was going to say it kind of just feels there, but it's a major plot point, so that's not true. But it feels less inspired. And the only thing I really... I'm way less interested in it. And the only thing I like out of the murder mystery aspect of this is the whole Booster Gold stuff. And to me, that's saying I would read a Tom King book about Booster Gold. I would love to read like a miniseries about Booster Gold from Tom King. That would be terrific. Sure. But otherwise, uh, I don't know if it's the format of it being an event or or what it is, but some like, it's just lacking. I I know for me. Uh... I had I had several problems with this issue that I I think are are pretty big and kind of indicative of of why this story just so far two issues deep isn't doing it for me. Um, so this time we get Harley Quinn and Booster Gold. Now that they've had their little their fight, uh, they've gone their separate ways, and Harley ends up. First of all, I gotta say, she meets up with the penguin. How creepy! How mm. creepy were those panels with the penguin in the back? Yeah, Clay, Clayman just, is tremendous. Just yeah. say yeah. say what you will about the the content of the, the book, the story. Yeah, but the art is just on another terrific, level. fantastic. You're absolutely yeah. right. That that uh that first shot of just his face with is just it's like oh it's like reviling. Yeah. Uh, but but she she you know uses Penguin helping her out as a way to get Batman on her trail. So the uh, the team of Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman all <clears throat> uh, find her, and uh, she beats them. She beats them. Not it was that's not a fight really, but uh, she beats them and she makes them look like goofs. And there's probably people who really are big Harley Quinn fans who are cool with that, but I thought that was stupid. I uh, I 100% agree. Like I I have a hard time <laughs> I have a hard time buying that with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman on whatever this mystery is. The fact that two issues in is not already solved. Like it 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 felt like when Deathstroke beat up the Flash in in. Uh, identity crisis where it was like um dude to me it felt like i agree with sean where like i feel like it felt like scooby-doo like they just got fucking clowned or you know like <laughs> or hudlin's black panther book where he puts the silver surfer in like an arm bar or something yeah it, like, it had that feel up to it of like okay is this is this serious or what are we doing like is this is like what is this you know uh I get that Tom really likes Harley Quinn and he really likes Booster and those are characters who have featured in his Batman run. That's awesome. But come on, man. <laughs> really? You know, it just it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, the implication that uh, Superman says, oh, she's as good as you. Uh, what? No, that's not true. Yeah. What are you talking about? That felt like a dig. Like he was just trying to say that to like because Bat- he was pissed. That Batman. Let's say that's I, the also, case. Let's say, oh, let me, let's say that's the case. Yeah. Why are they having that kind of conversation in the middle of this? This is like a very serious thing. It feels like they're playing games and that's really. People are dead. Yeah, that's really annoying. And it's so, 
uh, uh, not acknowledging the, the seriousness of what's going on. There are dead people that were at a place that was supposed to be where they could recover mentally from their trauma. And you think Harley Quinn is the murderer and Batman's bright idea for how to deal with her is to just lunge at her like a, like an oaf and get completely trounced. That's what we're doing. Well, ridiculous. And, and then, and then <laughs> she says, Wonder Woman says that she could she could snap batman's neck before superman could break the lasso well maybe but why would he break the lasso why wouldn't he just go for harley quinn you telling me batman's broken his back he doesn't have neck armor are you also telling me that harley quinn is faster than superman yeah and and it also it also um has you have to believe that she that like wonder woman implicitly trusted her when she's a, a murder suspect right Right, like she let her come in and, and hug her and steal the lasso without, like, when she's totally off guard. You know, I was like, come on, that makes like the yeah. whole the whole thing just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And like, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I what I expected at first is when she picked up the lasso, I was like, I'm going to tie it around myself to you know prove I'm right. Innocent. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and that would have felt like a Harley Quinn scene where it was like, see, you guys are idiots. What are you doing here? But then it turned into like a weird power dynamic thing, and not in a good way. Yeah, I I I did agree with that point, and I I do still kind of think that's what what happened. But it turned in like that's what Wonder Woman was letting her do. Yeah, that she was actually she was holding the the lasso because if you look in the art in that panel where where she's holding Wonder Woman like her the the red half of her arm is around wonder woman um so to where she would be able to grab the lasso um so i like i do think that point you know we this is our indication that whatever happened she is telling what she believes to be the truth but yeah like like has been said like the the dynamic and the the way this progresses just makes no sense and, and it's this kind of tone deaf because a big thing is during the autopsy of uh, citizen steel uh they ask batman oh do you have kryptonite in your pocket and there's this whole insistence that like here's another thing that didn't make sense so they record these confessions uh, uh more or less but then you know they're not kept. Then why record them at all? What's the point if you're just gonna erase them? Right. Well, that I I interpreted as because they're being viewed by machines. That just the process of the machines viewing them is the recording. You know what I mean? And I would, uh, okay. yeah, I would sense, also yeah. argue that you know if this place is probably built on artificial intelligence, probably what they do is they sit and they talk about it, and then the the AI talks them through whatever is going on and then once the session is over then they delete it right well batman batman probably is keeping a file of all this oh, somewhere. Yeah. that's just another lie but like 
Right. Well, and I, I think nope. I think that's the implication, right? Because he he said that in the same breath about saying he didn't have the kryptonite, and that was a fucking lie. Yeah, but then what my point was that scene where it turns out he does have kryptonite, which we all knew anyway, because it's like a well-established fact of like twenty years of fiction. Uh, that whole thing kind of felt tone deaf too, because nothing came of it. Obviously, that could happen in issue three, but you'd think the resolution of this issue would be like, oh, Batman lied. But it was a Not joke. That That's what annoyed me. It was played for yeah. a joke. Oh, he lied. He just lied. Ha ha! Isn't it so funny that he actually does have kryptonite, and that this is now how Harley Quinn is going to escape this situation? I don't think that's funny. See, I, agree. I didn't. I didn't read it as being a joke. I I read it as like the thing that you said about the comment that that Superman makes. I read that as Superman being pissed off that Bruce lied to him, and that I I think that 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 will have ramifications. That Batman lied. Because I think that the point we just made before about the fact that he's also probably lying about this record existing and him like keeping it somewhere, I think is is probably going to come into play in the future. Issue. I can't, I can, I cannot imagine a DC universe at this point where Superman doesn't know that Batman doesn't have kryptonite in his belt. Like, like, like Phil said, yeah. that's that's been that's been established for so long, and as. As trusting as Clark is, especially to Bruce, like this comes up over and over and over again. For me, I think I think he was looking to convince Harley more than anything else. But I think isn't the thing right? Like I think we're acting like Superman didn't know that, and he did. Like he says, "You have Kryptonite in your belt. I know you do, or whatever." And then Batman's like, "No, I don't, dude. Like I have my plan, but I'm not just carrying it around. I don't assume that you're gonna just go rogue one day." And then the implication is that, well, yeah, of course he does, and he did, and Superman was right. But he ba- Batman lied to his fucking face, and that's still a shitty thing to do. I eh, that's kind of weird. I feel like that was supposed to be the nah. takeaway. I didn't, I didn't read it like that at all. Yeah. Um, but let's but let's move on from this scene because there's other things uh, that that do happen in this in this book. Uh, the bo- go ahead, Kale. Can we talk about the the Trinity's therapy scenes? Yes, go for it. What did those did those do anything for you guys? Yes. Okay. The bat- I hated Clark's. Okay. The bat the Batman one I thought was very good. Uh we never get to see him in that kind of a moment where it's like we we always see him undress right and it's so cool like he takes off his his helmet and even if dick. he's whoa well, uh, well it depends you know uh but but he, even if he's bummed out even if something bad just happened he always looks so cool and this was one of those times where it was kind of like this is him not trying to be anything other than Bruce Wayne this is him not trying to impress anyone. This is him having a moment with himself. Um, and it, it makes it clear how much pain he's actually still in. And people ask the question sometimes, well, is Batman still grieving? Or is this just what he has to do as a result of the grief that he had? And I think that this shows that he is still grieving. That. That one was probably that one. I like the Poison Ivy one too. Yeah, those were both really solid. I like the Poison Ivy one a lot as well. The other two were not. Wonder Woman was it was it was kind of rigid. I loved hers uh, too, actually. Please, yes. really? yeah. So why did it work for you, Sean? I'm I, I'm I loved it because what it shows is that Wonder Woman is okay. That she's been through things, 
that she's seen horrors, but that she's okay. She's okay with it. She's handling it. She's not burdened emotionally or psychically by what she's been through. She's just that strong. And that that's a real thing too. That yeah. that there are people who just handle their stuff and that that's as real as having hurt and pain trauma. from trauma. I, I hated Clark's though. That yeah, I didn't get that really. It felt like it felt like Tom King watched Kill Bill Volume Two, where Bill has that speech at the end about Superman, and Tom King's like, "Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool." <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, I was like, that's not his fucking deal. He's Clark. That's like that's like first year Superman, like. <laughs> Yeah, I think the thing for me, I I thought that that, as a point, felt interesting, but it didn't feel like Superman was a good conduit for that point, you know? Like, I could see how you could interpret Superman that way, but that's generally not the accepted personality and attitude of Superman. So, like, it feels dissonant. But I I, I was thinking of it in the context of Tom King's experience as a soldier, and I wondered if that's what he was really trying to say there. And I was like, well, that's an interesting point, but I don't feel like it makes sense for Superman as a character. I feel like, Superman's not a soldier either. I feel like if you wanted to come at it from that angle, you, you could use Batman a lot better. Sure. Yeah, I think it felt... I don't know. That that one felt off for me. The thing that you pointed out about Wonder Woman, Sean, I... You saying that now makes me think about that scene in a different context, and I could I could see it that way, but I actually, when I initially read it, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to take away from it. Like, it felt to me like her her being like, you know, oh, there's other people in need, so, like, I don't need to talk about this. I kind of felt like it was more like her avoiding yeah. her own issues rather than accepting them. I yeah, I felt like she was uh, avoiding her shit, not owning her shit. Yeah. That was kind of how I felt about it. But you saying that, I, I, I can kind of see that interpretation of it now, and I'm not sure what the takeaway is supposed to really be there. I feel like the way it's framed at the end of the paneling is with her just kind of getting up and being like, all right, well, you got more important people to deal with. I feel like that's her. It's, it's kind of like that Superman one too, where he's like, uh, that's not how a superhero is supposed to be or whatever. Uh, I feel like Wonder Woman has a similar kind of thing where it's like, well, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm a goddess. I'm a superhero. I'm one. I'm Wonder Woman. It's interesting because I could see how I certainly could see how you guys got that uh, from this, but um, I don't know. I just I just felt like uh, she she's doing all right. Um, That's interesting. You know, you know who's not doing all right? Me. I'm sick of Harley Quinn. <laughs> all right. Well, let's pause the Harley Quinn hate for a moment because I do want to talk about the other thing that happened in this issue, which is that uh, Booster Gold inadvertently revealed to the Flash. That Wally is dead. Um, yeah, what what the hell is that about? Why why do you, what is going on with Booster? He's cracked, and that's a story that you only really are aware of if you have read uh, Tom King's run on Batman. But uh, he's been losing his mind, and I'm I actually am not familiar with Booster really outside of. This stuff so this is the only booster I know, and I gotta be yep. really honest. It's so annoying. It's it's not even interesting. It's just annoying. You never read New Fifty Two? I'm sorry, Fifty Two. 
Nope. Oh shit. Yeah, we've talked about this. Little... We we talked about I doing forgot. a uh, a thing together. Yeah, but yeah, we, yeah. we so could you're never. Saying, you're saying you don't like Booster Gold, or like you're not liking this storyline. Him being with him, like him losing his. Yeah, him being cracked or whatever. It's 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 very annoying. What about it isn't working for you? Well, it's just it's just. I don't feel like Tom King is handling it right. Uh, that's just that's how I feel. Like I don't think that his spastic dialogue that doesn't always make sense is is interesting, and I don't think that that's the way to to showcase what's going on with him. It doesn't because it doesn't give us any like there are no peeks into the windows of his mind. It's just. Oh, I'm uh, I'm crazy! Wow, and that's what he's doing with Harley too. It's it, like that's not interesting, riveting dialogue. That's just you writing in a way that's supposed to make me think that there's something wrong with them. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you said that because that was how I felt about Booster's dialogue too, and that that was definitely my takeaway. Like for Harley Quinn, that's fine, I guess, because like she's supposed to be mentally unstable on some level, but like. With Booster, it just, like, the whole, like, manicness of the dialogue, like, and, like, the kind of, like, way that he's talking to himself by talking to the robot and everything, like, I was just like, ah, this is just not working for me. Like, and I, I'm like you, I don't, I don't, I've never he, read anything he has a that name. has to do with Booster Gold. His name is Skates, Pete. Let's go, Skates, Skates, motherfucker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, do we, uh... Do we have any indication of where this takes place in the current, like, uh, t- like timeline? Like, um, yes, it's it's funny because Marco asked this very question, and and I, I did um, I did listen to that uh, and our, our, the last review. I and I I mean specifically, like, is this between you know? when Wally left the the Flash and the next issue of the Flash or no um so when Wally leaves uh Flash isn't aware of 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 where he is for several issues in okay. fact the Flash comic book hasn't addressed Wally's death so okay. this okay. is yeah yeah okay so uh, so in so he doesn't know Right. Okay. This is his first learning of that occurrence. And I I thought that was fine. I, I very much felt Flash's anger um, when I read it. But again, the way that Booster is approaching this whole situation and the way that Tom King is approaching his writing of Booster, it just sucked the air out of the room for me to where the point where Flash comes in, I wanted to feel hot, you know, because I care about Wally and because I care about Flash. It's my favorite comic book right now. But I just, like, I didn't feel all that I wanted to feel. And I don't feel like Tom nailed that moment, and I'm used to him nailing the moment. And Yeah. Yeah, that's just where I'm at with this book. That's this book. It's like, uh, it's weird. Uh, you're right. Uh, I think that kind of summarily summarizes these two issues. Is Tom is very good at nailing the moment. It's what makes Vision, Mr. Miracle, Sheriff of Babylon. Me three more. Uh, all these books so good. I mean, there aren't three more. There's like two more. <laughs> uh, How dare you? Um, <laughs> uh, but this book, uh, he really hasn't hit the nail on the head. Yeah, and and my last point that I that I want to make is just that 
by the last issue, right, all of this that we're saying right now could be like, oh, well, that's why Harley was acting that way. That's what's going on with Booster. Sure. And that's all well and good, but it doesn't change the fact that on this end of it, right, as people who are consuming the content and trying to enjoy the book, it's a struggle. And and I and I to me, even if issue ten makes this better somehow, I don't think it redeems it. It yeah, it me. doesn't mean it's not inconsistent. Right, right. I I, I was kind of dreading reading this issue. I didn't put it on my uh, pals poll poll last week um, because I left feeling kind of lukewarm after the first issue, and I only feel that uh, compounded now. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's funny because I, I was probably the most high on it because I didn't have some of the baggage that you guys do, and now I'm I'm right there with you where I'm just like, eh. Like, going into issue three, I'm certainly not excited for this book in the way that I am any of the other books that we are currently following or looking at picking up. You know, this this has moved to the bottom of the list for me. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate. We have- I like the talent attached with it. We have to finish it though. Six issues is not a lot. It's n- it's, it's, it's nine, my dog. Oh no! <laughs> well, well, I, well, I do want to finish it though. Yeah, we have I, to. I think we have to. I mean, like we're we're fans of Tom's work, and I think like I I want to look at this in a critical way as it develops, and it'll be interesting to see how we feel by the end of it. Because right now, I don't I don't imagine I don't imagine that we're gonna come around on it as hard as you know like as low as we are right now i can't imagine that we're going to feel that it matches up to any of his greatest work but i'd love to be proven wrong sure and if there's any writer who so can we'll see. exactly yeah and I'm, I'm totally willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because there are things about this that are working you know it's just a matter of is it going to come together in a satisfying way and i, I don't feel like it is right now but you know, I don't know. It, it's certainly not so bad or uninteresting to me that I don't want to keep going with it. I want to end this on a positive note because, you know, positivity is good. Uh, the art's fantastic. Uh, Phenomenal. Clayman is showing his ass off right now to everybody who isn't somehow familiar with him already. Uh, he's one of the best, and he's showcasing that for sure. It's a, Dude, he's it's, fucking slaying it. it. It's, a, it's a nice ass. He's showing his ass. That's right. <laughs> well, like, even just, like, the background work, man. Like, every, like all the landscape shots and stuff. It's like the lighting is so fucking nice. It's like, ah, it's just good. It's, it's really good. Yeah, uh, you know what? That, like, that shot, um, this is a moment we didn't actually talk about, where, where Harley Quinn's on the bridge. Like... The dialogue is fine, but like that, like seeing it is, is it, on that moment unfolding is one of the best pages in the book. I think. Yeah, he did a great job. So uh, we will follow Heroes in Crisis into its third issue, and we'll see how we feel about that one. We'll also follow Fearscape into its third issue. Uh, so, oh god, <laughs> whatever, Phil. You just said you wanted to read it. 
So let us know your thoughts about these books as you get the opportunity to read them. And also, if there are other books you'd like to hear our thoughts on, please let us know. Uh, we're always open to reading uh, books that the readers or that the listeners suggest. So uh, please share that with us. There are plenty of ways that you can get us. As I said at the top, we are on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to listen to your podcast. We're there probably except Spotify because they don't want us um, yet. They can't handle That's us. Right. Uh, you can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com with your thoughts on this or any other episode of the show. Um, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. And last but not least, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Uh, you can drop us a like, leave us a comment, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't. And if you have subscribed, go the extra mile and do all those other things because they help us out a ton. Make sure to hit that notification bell so that you are made aware when we drop our new content. Like, fill me in, which is up there right now. Uh, our special Halloween edition. We are, uh, well, Phil is uncovering the monster conspiracy uh, that happened at New York Comic Con. So if you want to know more about that, you want to head over to our YouTube channel and check out the most recent episode of Fill Me In. Uh, and you want to see the story that the mainstream media was trying to hide from yeah. you. And then uh, we've also got our book club episode, the Infidel uh, book club episode that we did. You're going to want to check that out. And then, of course, the Pride of Baghdad book club that is on the way at the end of the month that will be available and last plug on my end for this podcast we've got our daredevil season three review go show that some love uh if you like that season which apparently uh a minority of you have watched um you're gonna want to hear our thoughts for sure and if you're on the fence about watching it go listen to what we had to say and probably you will change your mind because it's really 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 good uh, let's do some plugs pete Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to catch more of me, you can find me and Sean over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, which posts on Tuesdays. Um, in this week, oh my god, this week is so fucking huge, dude. I like, we, there was a Smash Direct, BlizzCon happened, Red Dead Redemption's out. It's a hell of a week. It's going to be a hell of a show. So if you've never checked out that show and you're a gamer, please go give it a listen. And uh, I, I think it'll be up your alley. And uh, you can also catch me on our Let's Play show, Pals Play. Last week, we did a little bit of Red Dead Redemption 2. I think this week, we're going to probably jump into some Spider-Man DLC. Uh, so go check that shit out. It's been a real blast doing those shows for you guys. And uh, the new video game Pals YouTube channel has been filled with a ton of new content. So uh, I hope you'll go check it out and give it a subscribe. Oh, and uh, you can also catch me over on uh, LootPots.com. I'm the host of our uh, weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast. Uh, episode 6 is up this week, and we talked about the uh, Smash Nintendo Direct. So if you want to go hear about that um, with me and a couple of nice British boys, you can go listen to that show, and I'll show you some support over there. And I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram if you want to come talk to me about any of the stuff we discussed today or anything else in the world of video games or comics. Cool. Kill. <clears throat> I would also point out that there uh, has been uh, the first chapter of an Undertale sequel, maybe, uh, anyway, a, yeah, no. uh, oh. a, a new game, um, a new game demo coming from the uh, the creator of of Undertale. Um, I played the whole thing. It's about Kobe four Fox. hours, um, free for now. I you know who knows what's going to happen in the future, but uh, it's called Delta Rune. You can get it at deltarune.com. It's dope as fuck. That's all there is to say about that. Um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, Giles Adam. 
uh, the uh, cabinet director for the city of Moselle, France, who sent my wife uh, this... J- my wife. My wife, my fam, <laughs> this, uh, this giant copy of Jack Kirby's The Losers, uh, hardback edition Sweet. for the, the Jack Kirby uh, Centennial. Um, this is such a random plug. I love it. <laughs> how do you think we felt? She just came into work when we uh, uh, got back from uh, Paris, and she said there was a package waiting for her. Um, and uh, it was a French edition of um, Jack Kirby's The Losers. Les Losers. That's um, the name of this podcast. That's the new name of this. this <laughs> <show>. <laughs> um, Only when Marco's on it. So, Giles Adams. Thanks for the book. You can find uh, my comics on panelspublishing.com and at uh, Comixology under Panels Publishing. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at that too. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Phil. Does anyone have anything funny they want to say about Marco's plugs? No. Anyone? No. I yeah, just want to get through it. something about butt plugs is you could find it there. He keeps them clean. There's the joke. Okay, it's at Mr. Marco Animoto. Go read his comic. It's on our website and his. Instagram. It's on our website. Yep. Yeah, all right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if you go to our website and go to the uh, about us page where there's like the, the comicspals.com, uh, you go to Marco comicspals.com and there's a plug to his comic right there. So go check out his short story. That was some weird Ben to speak. Right the comicspals. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Marco, where? Thecomicspals.com. Damn straight. Uh, listen here, diligent listeners of our humble podcast. If you want to stay safe this fall, you need to watch Fill Me In. Because in this edition of Fill Me In, I will let you know where the monsters are and where they're coming from. Where they're coming from is New York Comic Con. Where they're going, anyone's guess. You need to watch to stay safe. Because they're spreading like sperm. Hmm? (laughs) I think that about sums up Fill Me In. (laughs) Yeah, a a tastefully edited version of that sums up Fill Me In. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you can find me on the social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. And, uh, of course, Sean didn't mention this before, but it's been about 100 episodes since we plugged this, but make sure to swipe right on the Comics Pals Tinder and Grinder. Oh. When did I mention that? What the hell are you talking about? About 100 I'm episodes I'm saying you ago. didn't mention it, and I mentioned it like 100, mentioned, uh, 100 episodes ago. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Soapbox. Talk to me about whatever you want to talk about. With that, with the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See ya next week. Hope you had a nice Halloween. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs>